Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show podcast, a place about games, friends, getting better. I'm Ben Hansen. Thank you for being here. Uh, we enjoy your company. I know that you're just ears, but we feel you and we like you. Uh, joined by Kyle Hilliard. Love those ears. <laughs> Jeff, what do you think about them ears? They're pretty good. That's right. That's Jeff Marquiafava. We call them okay, Jeff. Okay, ears. Solid ears. Mark Cerny would love them. Uh, hello, Janet Garcia. Welcome. Yeah, what's good? Tell you what's good. A lot of these freaking games we're going to be talking about. And we're going to talk about games and ears. Ears for years. Uh, we're talking about Tunic, everybody. The new indie Zelda-like that Janet has plowed through. Let's talk all about it. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, which, uh, do not be alarmed, is not out. But Kyle has played it with his fingers, and he's going to talk about it. A little bit about Starfield, because it's the year 2022. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about Triangle Strategy, Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin, comma... Uh, Square Enix, what's up? I think is kind of the name of that segment, I think. Uh, and then back after the show, we have a bunch of great questions that were submitted over on Patreon from a bunch of very lovely supporters. Genuinely, we have like a whole system. Genuinely, we have a system where it's like in Slack, I'll list out the questions. You'll be like, hey, which ones are you all excited to uh, answer? And normally it's like, ah, oh, this one gets one thumb, this one gets two. A lot of these was like, bam, three thumbs, three thumbs, three thumbs. Everybody was jumping in there eager to thumb, and look, I don't want to point fingers and point fun, point thumbs and cast aspersions, but Sarah Podzorski, I feel like, is a eh, two, to, two to three thumb kind of person. Kyle Hilliard, I felt like you thumbed up every question, which is a sign that they're full of bangers. Well, Sarah also public last week, right? She just tapped out after a certain point. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> she read like three and she's like, I'm good. Yeah, I'll take all of them. <laughs> thank you very fine. much. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Thank you all for being here. Um, let's just jump right into this freaking thing. Uh, Tunic, ladies and gentlemen. This is a uh, new game from Andrew Shouldice is his name. He's the sole developer of this game. You've probably seen Tunic in a, a bunch of trailers, or a bunch of like uh, Xbox presentations. We've been seeing it since at least 2017, and every once in a while you see it and you say, oh, that's right, that cute Fox indie game that kind of looks like Zelda 1. That seems cool. Uh, it's finally out, and uh, believe it or not, it is cool. The reviews hit. They were all over the place in a very positive way. Um, game Informer, Jill Grote, friend that's, of the show. But that's not all over the place, like, is not in in, in a good direction. That's not how you use I that term. All know. over the place is like, it got a six, it got a nine. You're right, you know? you're right. Well, I think it's all over the place in a good way, because, like, you We're know. Some, all over a place. Yeah, a positive place. Some people are giving it eights, but then, like, Jill Grote over at Game Informer, champion of indie games, was like, yeah, this is a nine seven five. So that's I what that. I consider oh, yeah. all over the place. That is that is a huge swing in that upper echelon. I, I think yeah. this is. I mean, that really because I had played it a little bit, and then I was saw all these reviews. I was like, okay, I really need to dig into this thing. Yeah. Uh, so we've all played it a bit, and then Janet, uh, being the machine that she is, has played through it uh, five times. Um, she's written a strategy <laughs> guide. The speed runs up on YouTube. Check it out, uh, Janet. You beat this game, Tunic. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, you got the final word and the first word and the forever word. Uh, how is Tunic? Wow. You're really playing fast and loose with these like classic idioms. You're like, you know what? Words can mean whatever I say they mean. Um, I think it's great. I gave it a four out of five, which on my scale is great. Uh, five point scale. I think so when I first started playing this game and I think this has a decent chance of being a lot of people's perspective. I mean, hopefully the positive scores may make people go in a little bit more like excited about it. Yeah. But when I started this, I'm like, okay, first thing I noticed is it's it's cute as hell. And I say that to, yes. to mention that um, it just I mean, I've seen this game a bunch. It's been around since like 2015. It's at every PAX. Um, but 
I was really sort of wowed by how good it looks in yes. terms of like having a really established aesthetic. Like the fox is adorable, but it also has like really nice animations, um, amazing like geometric detailing in the backgrounds. Like it has such a a nice and kind of unique style that totally, feels warm and inviting. I'm totally with you, Janet. Those are weird things. Like, well, I've, I've seen this around. This is fine. And then booting it up on my Xbox and starting it, I was like, wow, this looks so much better than I was expecting. And it's something just, it feels like, a rock solid little game. It kind of reminds me of Inside in that way, where it doesn't even feel like it's made up of pixels and code anymore. It's just like, this is just a solid, massive entity that somehow is this game. Yeah, and I think, um, just to kind of keep it short, then we can kind of go around and, and dig into the specifics, yeah. but um, when I first started playing, though, I did feel like, okay, I've done this a lot of times, and I've done this better in a lot of other places, so like, all right, what's here to see? Um, and then as time went on, and I got more of the abilities, and I really started to see the depth and intrigue beneath the instruction manual sort of mechanic and um, world building construction, which I think is like absolutely the shining star of this game. It's what makes it feel unique. It's what makes it worth playing, in my opinion. Like, that's the number one thing. And then the combat, I'm actually not very hot on. That's my biggest criticism of the game. Um, But that's sort of my like TLDR of it. Like, I think the exploration and the world design is so phenomenal that I walked away being like, you know, there was a point in this game where I'm wondering, what does Tunic have to say that hasn't already been said? And then it was like, boom, this is my sort of flag and what's going to make this game distinct amongst um, others, especially coming off of like, you know, Chigory and Death's Door from last year, which like the comparisons are going to be. And then totally. Link's Awakening remake even yes. not that long ago either. So, yeah, yeah. that is, it is okay. wild to think of like Link's Awakening remake where it's like, oh, this game was announced before that game was announced and that game came out and this game was still being worked on. And that's the stunning thing is like, you know, a game that is so inspired by Zelda 1, like so many other indie games have been. I mean, for 34 years, we've got been going on games that have been inspired by Zelda 1, and then Tunic can still come out. It's like, this still feels fresh and cool somehow, but it's still so obviously just a love letter to old Zeldas. But Kyle, since you have at least three Zelda tattoos, I'm curious what you think about Tunic so far. Um, yeah, I'm really not very far, at okay. all, uh, to be clear. Um, but yeah, I was surprised... It definitely feels more, um, and Janet, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it almost looks more to Souls than Zelda in terms of like combat and recovering sort of lost experience and stuff like that. And like huh. I spent a lot of the game not fighting and rolling around. It took me a while to get a, even a stick. And even that feels like really underpowered. Like I, it's kind of, it's really adorable, but when it comes to fighting it feels kind of threatening and maybe i'm just i'm just genuinely not far enough maybe you start feeling stronger faster um but that kind of surprised me because i was really ready for like you know a fun game inspired by zelda but there's enough from it and and souls in there that was like oh this is this there's a venn diagram here of, of inspirations for sure yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely soulsy in its movement. Um, and I think you feel that a lot more in the beginning parts because I had the same. And that's why, like, when I started out, I'm like, okay, so this is a, you know, bad Death's Door because the combat felt like it was very much reminiscent of Death's Door, which is also very soulsy, but not nearly as good, in my opinion, with, like, the way they sort of negotiate the, like, stamina bar. And I'm like, okay, you have soul stuff, but, like, unlike souls, you don't have the same grind. You don't have armor sets. You don't have, you well, they're, know, they're- like... They're all chasing Hyperlight Drifter, ultimately. Uh-huh, <laughs> of course. So the tip for well, who is dog. it? But, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I totally think that's a fair assessment. And I do think that you see the soulsiness in this, even in stuff like like you mentioned, like the recovery of your uh, currency, which granted is not nearly as dramatic as in Souls games where you lose all your souls. This is like you lose like a couple and then you can pretty oh, easily and the cool recover thing, them back. And the cool thing, too, is that like they don't put the coins 
on the screen or your rupees, whatever the hell the equivalent is, right? So like you don't have that number, at least from what I've played so far. So it's not like this punishing thing. Like, oh my god, I just lost three hundred, and no one is coming back. It's like ah, you go back to your corpse, you pick it up, you get the stuff, and you keep on moving on. But it's less of like that impact of like, oh, I didn't get back to my body. At least so far, I mean, I'm not that far either, Ben. Yeah, but the, that those opening points and that's why i think that's like the worst part of the game like the beginning because it's like okay i'm weak i don't have any way to get anywhere and it's like this is just it just felt slow and mm-hmm. like it just dragged on um i definitely felt a lot better once i got like my sword and my shield and then i just continued to, i think the combat does improve over time as you get more abilities because your tool set becomes a bit more dynamic like you ranged combat comes into play and like by the time you're like you know a couple a couple hours it kind of blurs together because i played in big chunks like a few hours in i'd say like most of the grunt enemies can be killed in like one to three hits so it's like it really doesn't feel in my opinion that difficult in the general moment to moment but there are crazy difficulty spikes with the bosses Mm. like the bosses feel like they're torn out of like i think the combat of this game personally doesn't have the sauce to be as difficult as it is because i don't feel like i can very easily match that difficulty like the path to getting good seems kind of steep mainly because of two things one the stamina like regeneration is kind of a pain which you can toggle off if you want to you can also turn on no fail mode and then just kind of be a tank and just walk through it if you're not enjoying the combat um but the other element too which i like i I have no idea why they did this but when you pull up your menu like in, in classic like old school zelda you slot um, things like your sword. Once you get more abilities, you can slot those. Uh, in the early stages, you can slot like your bombs there, or whatever. The, swapping those out, like you have to do that through the menu. And when you pull up the menu, which is like you know LB or whatever, mm-hmm. on like if you're playing on an Xbox controller, like it does not pause the game and it does not slow down time. So I'm just like frantically trying to slot stuff. There's other things going on, and I'm like, look. I don't even have fun doing this, to be honest. Like, I just personally didn't connect with the combat. I know other people did. Yeah. But for I, me, when I got to boss battles, I'm like, look, I'm going to just do it. If I can't knock it out, I'll toggle something on. Um, fortunately, there were only really like three or four bosses in the whole game. So I, it it didn't really come up a lot to me and it didn't hurt my overall enjoyment. But I do think that's like the weakest part of the game. And it's most in your face in the beginning when there's not a lot else going on. I do. I love that the way that they present it though, when you're bringing up your inventory, yeah, it doesn't pause it, but I love that it just takes the gameplay and just like, just like shifts it up to the upper right. It's such a cool, simple thing, but actually having everything fully shift over while it's still technically running in the background, you can change the inventory slots. But I think comparing it to the soul stuff, uh, welcome to the gaming discourse, everybody. I, I apologize if you're not a fan, but Every game is going to be compared to Elden Ring this year. So if you just want to buckle up for that, you're going to have a much better time listening to gaming podcasts. But I think this game is going to be kind of the legacy as of right now is it's such an interesting companion piece to Elden Ring because it's also very subtle, really throws you right in there, leaves a lot of room for experimentation and discovery that's completely up to the player. And it's, it's a cool indie companion to Elden Ring at this point. Jeff, I assume since Elden Ring has routed your brain that that was an immediate thought as well, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. But to, the po- but to the point where <laughs> I, I think Elden Ring does it all in a much more interesting way. Well, of course. Well, of course. Me. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, like overall, I think I'm where initial janet was and so i'm i'm glad to hear like you had the same opinions and that you you ended up enjoying it more because right now i definitely feel i'm i'm in that zone of like yes i have i have played a lot of 
Zelda likes. Right. And I'm not I'm not really seeing what this one is doing to distinguish itself other than like I'm just getting lost all the time and I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. I finally got a sword, so at least that's a little better, but Pretty I'm still good. getting killed by a lot of stuff and I also just am not not enjoying that combat. So And so the magic, Janet, that unfolds as people play more is just the world becomes more and more intriguing. That that's the main takeaway here? It's actually that you, I wouldn't say it's that the world becomes more intriguing. I would say it's that your understanding of the world grows and the way it grows is the fun. Like the exploration is the fun and it's it's both the reward and like the thing that you like earn, which is a really interesting loop. So if you're someone that likes, you know, ducking around corridors, finding treasure chests, whether or not it has something really cool or just like extra currency, if you enjoy that flow of things, which I would say most people that enjoy this kind of style of game do, or even if you enjoy stuff like I'm a big fan of like walking simulators and like life is strange and stuff. And like part of the fun of that game is like being in that environment and walking around and trying to find everything that you can, um, but also not feeling the pressure of like needing to find everything is another thing I think Tunic does really well. So really the magic here is in the instruction manual, which for people yeah. that don't know, a big part of this game is finding, you know, alongside a bunch of other things like, oh, bombs or like extra, you know, like tools that can help you, um, you know, get more abilities or whatever. There's these little instruction manual pages that are the instruction manual for the game. And I think on its surface, this seems like classically like super cliche. It's like, I get it. I get it. You like you like the Game Boy. Right. But it ends up being so much more than that because it's sort of breadcrumbing you along in a really interesting way because you get to learn more about how to maybe fight or also where to go or what you can do. So without getting into specifics, there's stuff like, hey, I found this item. I have no idea how to use it. I try to interact with it and nothing happens. Eventually you get an instruction page that says, hey, this item corresponds to this location that you keep seeing. And then you're like, cool, let me do it. And then when you do it's like, all right, well, what did this really change? Like, I'm not really getting feedback immediately. And then if you go back into the manual, you can sort of parse out like a weird little diagram they have. And you're like, OK, it seems like uh. if I do this, this number of times, something might happen. And then boom, it clicks. Now, obviously, that might sound like super convoluted and obtuse, but like it has stuff like that. And then stuff that's way more straightforward, like, hey, here's how you actually like run in the game because without guessing the button input you don't actually know how to not just walk or just roll and it's like oh, okay cool man like i have that piece of info or it's like oh it gave me a map another map piece that i was missing cool now i understand this area or this is these structures i kept seeing this is the button input i have to do in front of them to interact with it okay cool i'm gonna do that but instead of having to immediately backtrack the game often does also set you up where the next the thing like when you get something like in a Metroidvania style game, like it puts you right where you can use it immediately in addition to letting you do the backtrack and get more stuff later. So like a really fun world design thing that really impressed me again, not like it's the first game to do it, but you know, you early on, you encounter like a cave and it's like, okay, I've done this a kajillion times. You're going to give me a flashlight or my, you know, something's going to glow. And like, I know what I'm going to get from this. And of course, you know, you get like a lantern or what have you, but like, I'm deep in like a sort of dungeon area. I get that like light ability. I'm navigating. I feel like I'm a million miles away from the rest of the world. I climb up and like, lo and behold, I'm somehow exactly where the front of that cave is. And it's hidden in such a way that I never would have known to even look that that was an entrance. And I'm like, right. oh, man this is tied together in a way that's really smart and i think 
what I like about that whole structure and what I think works is even though, sure, people can get lost. I did have some times where I definitely was lost. I wasn't like pro game in this, but I felt like it did such a better job of like funneling me along. And then there's also a map like, you know, if we're doing Death's Door comparison, that was like the number one problem out of that game is I like would get so lost and have no way of like knowing where anything was unless I looked at a guide for a map someone else made. So I think it just does such a good job of doing that. And then if you're like a real like lore obsessed person, yeah. you could live in this game forever there's so much stuff but i don't think you need to be that person to enjoy it like i had fun with my 14 hours meanwhile like andy cortez like when we did the review it kind of funny he's like 28 hours in like he's obsessed with it and i think i think it caters to both those play styles in a way that's really cool where i don't feel like i need to be a tunic expert to see the magic in this game but if you're someone that falls in love with it there's like so much there to parse out beyond even just the critical path so yeah yeah, it, um, I, I like the idea that the items that you get, as far as I can tell, like there's no real description. It's just like encouraging experimentations. Like, hey, here's something weird. Why don't you pop your inventory, throw it out there, see what it does. Like, it seems like that is kind of the, the feel that it gives you early on. And I'm curious to see, yeah, what that's like by the end of the game and whatnot. But um, it's uh, available on Steam. It's available on Game Pass now, everybody on Xbox, but uh, just those two things. So look, you don't need our early impressions. Just if you like a Zelda... If you like some intriguing, subtle, beautiful indie games, go check it out. Jeff, um, you like cute stuff. If you're a fan of cute stuff and foxes, Jeff, um, the odds you go back to Tunic in a big way. Maybe, maybe, maybe towards like end of the year when people are like, Tunic, hey, I really yep. like Tunic and we should, I'll, I'll think, yeah, I, I I should have played more of that now that I have some space. That's unless right. I'm still playing Elden Ring. Which you will be. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, all right, that's Tunic, everybody. Um, hey, Ghostwire Tokyo is a game that we talked about not too long ago on the podcast. This is a new one from Tango uh, Gameworks, the Evil Within team and whatnot. Um, PlayStation 5 exclusive, also coming to PC, though. Um, Kyle, you actually have the game. You are playing the I game. Do. My God. And you can talk about how much of it now? Uh, the first two chapters. Okay. Um, the two ghoulish chapters. So this is yeah. open world, um, not survival horror, open world no. exploration horror game, almost first person stylish action game. What the hell is it? What is Ghostwire Tokyo? Man. All those things. <laughs> What's uh, happening? No, it's a first person exploration with, with, Combat borderline doesn't really feel like a focus. Okay. At least in the first two chapters. I mean, I was doing a lot of combat, but it, I don't know. It's So the thing that surprised me about this game, Ghostwire Tokyo, I've been excited about it. I've been looking forward to it. I, lo- I love the way it looks. Yeah. Kind of this like contemporary, modern Japan, Shibuya Crossing. I don't, like, I was trying to think of all the Shibuya Crossings in games. I was like, I don't think I've played a game where it's like been more detailed or feels more... <laughs> accurate it's not totally accurate i don't think but sure. it like feels right uh-huh if that makes sense you know um or feels the most right I, it should be a crossing in the yakuza's i'm not sure i don't think so that's a good question okay, i don't that believe would, so. that would i would imagine would be sort of the the competitor but um yeah. it i expected sort of like more horror but it really kind of feels like what it is is like you're it's more you're just sort of walking around and exploring and like the, the thing that I spent the most time doing was like finding things and interacting them in with them in, in specific like Ghostwire Tokyo ways. Like you have to sort of collect souls, which is like a crazy, awesome like hand animation. Yeah. And then you have to like 
tackle these like side quests, which involve different things. You can you, you pretty early on you unlock that zip line thing where you can go up to the roofs and you can glide down, which is cool. Um, it doesn't feel super open. It's a it's a lot of like paths, right? It's like walking between buildings. It's there's no really straight shot to your destination. Rarely, it's a lot so, of moving through streets. Okay, so the idea like of calling that. it open world, it's like well, I guess technically, but they, they yeah, want you going some places. It's not inaccurate. There's not. There's like <laughs> it's it, it seems like it's all c- consistent, right? Like I don't. Yeah. I'm not hitting loading screens or anything. Like except when I'm going inside of buildings, which you do a surprising amount. Um, huh. but um, I like it so far. Uh, to be like clear, it. like maybe okay. I'm bearing the lead, but I do like it. It's it's not as scary as I thought it would be, but it's got this cool sort of like you're sort of exploring a really lonely version of of uh, uh, Tokyo because uh, everyone's like soul has been like removed. Like there's literally like piles of clothes all over the street, and there are dogs. You can see dogs, but otherwise you're <laughs> only interacting with spirits and a character who's like has taken over your body. It's like, what's that? Uh, uh, Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings game. Oh, yeah. Carabrimbor. It feels a lot like that. Like, there's this character who's, like, uh, in your body who's giving you powers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Johnny but, Silverhand? Ooh. What's better, that? Better reference. Johnny, Johnny Silverhand. Um, it actually, it, I closer to the Lord of the Rings than Johnny <laughs> Silverhand. Johnny Silverhand is just present. He just hangs out. This guy's actually giving you abilities. Gotcha. And then there's a point even in the first two chapters where you lose him for a little while and you have to, and it sucks like to explore the streets without him because you don't have any of your abilities. You can't do your crazy, you know, finger snapping uh, to, to interact with things. So, okay, if I may, and Jeff, help me summarize Kyle's feelings. It's a looking forward to it then you started playing it and it was like a huh okay okay is, is it's if I different to... than what i thought it was going to be it's more exploration i thought it was going to be really action heavy and you're unlocking all these abilities but really exploration seems to be the main thing and then like you know as you're exploring you encounter one or two people i think i did one like boss fight in quotes um but really, like, the, the core of the game is just walking around and finding things. Like, you have to, like, collect souls so and you tunic. deposit them. Ooh. <laughs> Everything's a you, tunic You have like. to collect these souls and then you, like, you have to deposit them in in phone booths. Like, it's like a core mechanic because you can only carry what? so much souls with you at a time. Huh. And it's funny, you get this crazy animation of dialing Natural. a phone, where it's like no human ever dials a phone that way where they use all their fingers. Like, <laughs> like the most efficient phone dialing ever. Right, yeah. This seems but, good. Um, and this, the, 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 the sort of... Um, the story, I, I like the baseline. It does a good thing, which I, I w- want more video games to do, which is like, just start the game. Like, if I'm interested, we can backfill all the lore and all the interesting stuff later. Just start. And it really does. You're just like a guy who got in a car accident, and this voice just wakes you up, and you start playing. And then over the next like hour, you kind of learn what happened and why everyone's missing and stuff like that. But you gotcha. get to just start walking around and like you know, doing finger guns at everybody within the first, like, five, ten minutes. You know? All right, that seems right. Uh, like I said, Resident Evil 4 did it really well, too, where you just, like, the president's been kidnapped, go explore this village, you know, right, and then right. all then later you find out all the all the stuff. You don't really get a lot of, like, upfront information, which is totally fine. I welcome that. President's daughter, Kyle, please. Show respect to Ashley. What did I say? I think you said president. 
Oh, okay. Completely different. Yeah. No one would have cared if it was the president, but the president's daughter. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking Melody yeah. Cell too. Everybody gets that confused. Uh, yeah, there's but always go- the president, president mom, right? Like I don't know. It's, like, it's always it's always something. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo. That's March twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. Yeah, really less quick. less insane actiony like than I thought it would be. Which maybe Is that's there- maybe that's an incentive for you. Okay. Is there a game you can compare it to? I know that's always like such a challenge, but I'm just kind of trying to wrap my head around like what I can expect from my time with this. Ooh, um, gosh, that's tough. Like, like pieces in Frankenstein, something like the it the combat um, of something. There's a little bit else? of Resident Evil Seven Eight in the combat, but it's mostly because it's like first person. It's a little and it's kind of clunky. Like Resident Evil Seven huh. and Eight aren't like great feeling first person shooters right right Right. and this kind of feels that way it doesn't it doesn't really seem to be be a big hindrance you know it's like you're not pulling off headshots in this game that's not what kind of game it is right right and then i i tweeted about it and it's like i'm almost scared to make the comparison but there's elements of it that made me think of shadows of the damned which is another shinji mikami game yeah where you're kind of where you're like exploring hell and i think it really just comes down to sort of like they don't play similarly, really. I, I'm not saying, like, if you like Shadows of the Damned, which I do, I'm not saying if you like that game, you're going to love Ghostwire Tokyo. It just, like, I just had the same, like, feeling of, like, exploring a, a weird, lonely place, which you get in Shadows of the Damned, and I'm, I'm feeling that here. Oh, all right. There we go. Hey, there we go. Jeff, um, what percentage of your brain right now is thinking about your kid in the background? 90%. 90%. I just want well, to... <laughs> How how much how much of it are you hearing come through? I think I've heard question. two two distinct moments of a baby, yeah, coming through the a little baby. bit. So I think you're you're riding so that immersive. mute well. Um, and he was I've, screaming. I've been riding the mute. Button, yeah. So he's been screaming, "Dada, Dada, I'm hungry. I need help." From what I could hear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I told him, "You gotta wait." Just <laughs> right. Right. You'll, Sorry, you'll you're eat and be out of danger in two hours. <laughs> you're doing more with. Your your ten percent is more than most people can do with their hundred, Jeff. I'm That's so right. I think you're doing That's just fine right. here. Beautiful work. Thank you. The people got to learn about Ghostwire Tokyo, though. You just got to tell that kid. Hey, uh, right. Starfield. We should talk about this thing uh, briefly. This is one of those shows. This is one of those tough podcasts where it's just like a little bit this, a little bit this. But you know what? It's it's one of those shows. Um, buffet cast. Yeah, that's right. The buffet cast, we call it. Uh, Starfield. So they're doing an interesting rollout for Bethesda's uh, new game, which they still say are, is coming out November 11th, I do believe. Although actually, a lot of these, a lot of these like uh, things, like uh, dev diaries, almost dev diaries, almost feel like we insist that this game is being worked on and it's real. And here's footage from it. <laughs> like that's kind of what it feels. Well, like. I, it feels like what they're doing is, and this could be way off, but it feels like a situation where they're waiting until E3 to kind of pull their fallout Four maneuver where it's just, we're going to have a huge debut of gameplay and give you all the systems just in that one dump. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't after fallout four did so well. Um, and so at this point, they're like, well, we need to keep give fans something. So it's just been concept art teases. And then like this is the second little Vidoc they released um, where it's just the developer sitting around in a circle going, isn't exploration great? Boy, space, the new frontier. How about that? Um, Janet, what's that to you about the what they've revealed from Starfield so far? I mean, it's so rough because like, and this is no shade to them, but it's always going to just feel so generic because yeah. like, you know, you're trying to... On one hand, you are trying to like show a window behind the scenes, but it's a very curated window behind the scenes. It's like, right. let me tell you my it's it really felt more like they're talking about their vision and inspiration for how 
the world that they wanted to construct. I don't think it necessarily gives me any insight onto whether or not they're pulling off. Oh, the world yeah. They want to I construct. mean, you know, nothing. Yeah, but really what they're talking about a lot in this was the idea of the choose your own, the classic choose your own adventure. They're like, we want players to really feel like they are immersed in the experience and that they're genuinely having a conversation with someone, even if their goal is to persuade them. Yeah. Um, the uh, big another big point they made was talking about how they're doing like the facial scans for like, I don't know if they're going to do that, like for your character specifically or or just in general. But they were talking about doing facial scans for NPCs because they're like, we really want you to look at this NPC and feel like they're like a real person. Like, look, you know, not, like nonsense, nonsense. this is all real. But also there's like some <laughs> space pirates that like you may or may yeah. not want to yeah. link up with or snitch to your boss about um there are a couple things like we're trying to evolve what we've done what we do well it's gonna be better than ever before it's it's kind of that feel yeah it's interesting that that they mentioned a couple things that kind of perked my interest one was like yeah we're big into the persuasion system this time around it's kind of going back to some of the things we did with oblivion and then there's another interesting beat i think the most interesting beat of this entire little video was todd howard talking about like yeah we're getting with creating your character we're getting back more into the concept of like traits and building your character defining your stats doing all that stuff at the beginning of the game um and he's like it's kind of like the games that we used to make back in the day and then he made some references like yeah the industry has kind of like grown up since then and i feel like people were shying away from the kind of hardcore western rpg roots and now it feels like the world is coming back around to it so again in the shadow of elden ring you gotta wonder of like yeah they're just looking at the success of from software and 12 minutes units sold it's like you know what People like geeky systems after all. And now we're Bethesda and we can embrace our own path because plenty of other people are embracing our own history and all that. Um, so that was, I think, the most intriguing element. Jeff, you seem skeptical. Well, I was just trying to think of, like, when did they get rid of stats in their right. games? That's a good question. I mean, I guess maybe Fallout 76. Janet, you're playing Fallout 4 right now, right? Like, how, how geeky is yeah. that? I even remember. I mean, it, it's it's exactly what you'd expect. Like, it's like you you build your character. Like, I, yeah, I also yeah. found that weird, Jeff, and where it's like, they. I don't think they've. I have not been through their entire catalog. But I don't think they've ever not really done that. Right, and then, like, right. even thinking of, uh, you know, there's so many. Obviously, it's like apples and oranges technically, but like the comparisons of, um, God. The Outer Worlds. That's right. That's <laughs> yes, right. I got that right. Um, it's <laughs> like I. I just feel like that's. I don't personally feel like as an industry there's ever really been severe pushback on building your character with stats but yeah i don't know yeah i mean are they are they kind of saying because like is the difference is the line that they're drawing like you make a lot of decisions up front versus you make a lot of decisions later that could be because i feel like elden ring you kind of make a lot of decisions up front right and sometimes that's a problem sometimes people are like i made the wrong choice i don't like this and then you have to beat you have to kind of get deep in the game before you can respec yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, I, I my memory of be. Skyrim is that, like, you could kind of, you sort of decided as you went along, like, if you're going to be a more magic person or a more sword person, maybe, is that their distinction? I think, I think that seems like a, a likely angle for what Todd was trying to say. Um, the, uh, yeah, other little things, they talk about the factions. There's the United Colonies, who are kind of the, the classic uh, boring uh, faction. Uh, the Freestar Collective, where it's the space western fantasy. Then the Ryujin Industries, which is the corporate life. And they're like, that one's really fun out of the gate. Please, go for the corporate one, everybody. Um, and then there's also like an enemy faction called the Crimson Fleet. But the cool thing is that you can join them. It's like, oh, okay, that seems kind of cool. Like, you can join them and either like actually fully join them, or you can join them and then like report back to the United Colonies and kind of like rat out the bad guys. It's like, okay, mm. that, that's... These are fun, kind of nerdy beats to hit if you have to 
explain your game in broad concepts still. Uh, they revealed, like, hey, we have companions. Here's a robot named Vasco. Ta-da! Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, all right, Jeffem. Starfield. Underwhelming, overwhelming? Give us your final prediction for this thing, even though I'm going to ask you this again in four um, months. Man, that's that's a tough question. That's not the question I wanted. I, I, I was I was going to say, like, I've... I, I feel like I've been skeptical of Bethesda games a lot recently, and I, I still feel it, it's that, like, bar of, like, how much are they actually going to evolve their underlying engine in those, like, are they going to fix those problems that have been throughout all the games? But at the same time, like, the reason I play all those games is I love all of the other systems and, like, the massive worlds that they build and stuff, so I think I'm I'm going to end up liking it more than then I am excited right now for it to come out, I think is mm. where I'm at. Yeah, once you but, get in, then you're, whether, yeah, you'll remember that, yeah. oh yeah, I like these games. Yeah, but whether like the zeitgeist of the industry is just going to have knives out for Bethesda on this one, like if whether, whether they will be as forgiving if they haven't shored up some of those problems in the last games, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to take that bet. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where Starfield ends up landing when it, in theory, comes out later this year. Maybe the big fall release, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, Okay, there's this game that's coming out that everyone in the world needs to know about. I feel like we need to stand on top of a mountain and scream about it. Uh, Coming out this Friday, I do believe, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. There is a free demo available on uh, everything right now. That's the first couple hours of the game. Um, Sarah Podzorski streamed it on MinMax's Twitch account, and um, I just like <laughs> scrubbed through her stream a little bit. She was having an absolute blast, and she said All she right. said afterwards that she is committed to finishing this game, and she's excited to talk about it once she's spent more time with it. But I spent the first couple hours with this game. It is a fascinating, weird, dorky ugly monstrosity of a fascinating game. Um, <laughs> those are a lot of intriguing words. It is, it is such an oddity. It's just like, if you, if you like the game industry, it is just like that fascinating test case of just zooming in. It's like, what would it look like if Square tried to make a Soulsborne Final Fantasy game? How, what would those ingredients create? And the answer, I guess, is Stranger of Paradise. Final Fantasy Orgy. I was playing on a PS5, just the first couple hours. Not a not a looker. Um, <laughs> it's it was looking like it's one of those where the hair and the shadows look extra pixelated, and it's it's on last gen as well. So don't expect it to to blow you away visually or anything. Um, here's the catch, and we, you know when we were talking, I think the last couple weeks, even about like what is with this game? How has there been such a shift in the reception? And it went from people being like, what is this crap? To suddenly everybody being like, yeah, this seems kind of dorky and janky and I'm all for it. I realized... A good stupid. A good stupid. a weird thing to define. You know what it is, Kyle? I really think it's like the demo released and people played it and it's like, kind of feels good to play. Like the action mm. <laughs> kind of works. And so when you have a game where the action kind of works, it has enough of the Soulsborne ingredients to carry you along. And then on top of that is just enough... Um clunky but brief enough final fantasy dialogue and a lot of characters going and making weird grunts and obviously screaming about chaos and taking down chaos it is just a bizarre collection of ingredients Um, so it's like it's like 
You know what it might be? It's like Kingdom Hearts, but without the seriousness, without the like air of like, this is a very serious story that we take seriously. Because oh, Kingdom Hearts has awesome combat. That's like a highlight of that game. Right, right. Maybe maybe there's something to that. But it's not, it's not that it's all just goof town. It's just at times you can't tell. <laughs> I think it was a sincerely written like outline and a doc for what this game is. And then I think, you know, the Neo developers got their hands on it and made it and then realized like, oh, the, that equals comedy. If you actually make this game that they wanted us to make, <laughs> okay. the answer is just kind of a joke. There's just like bizarre stuff like very early on. I know people are obsessed with this, but very early on, like the main character, Jack, of course, our dear friend Jack, is wandering through this beautiful field um, and it's blasting Frank Sinatra's My Way. And it's this big buildup and... You should look for at least a clip of this online because it's just so bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's just him wanting to feel And then it gets right to the chorus where it's like, what's more than this? I did it. And then it like cuts and that's the, it's not like an a, a, like, you know, abrupt intentional cut. It's just like the whole cutscene just quickly fades out at that moment uncomfortably right before the chorus of Frank Sinatra's My Way kicks in. And just for behind <laughs> the scenes, like, the embargo I got for playing this game, at least 30% of, the, of that embargo was just talking about the uses of when we can use Frank Sinatra's My Way in our coverage <laughs> or in our video reviews. Like, it's just a bizarre concoction of, of weird things. Um, you know, I'm not going to keep playing it, um, but I appreciate <laughs> it as it's going to be a cult hit. By the end of the year, there are going to be people really yeah. championing and screaming about what a good time they you, had with this weird You're thing. not going to keep playing it. But you did play it. <laughs> I certainly played it, and I look forward to hearing Sarah's full thoughts on Stranger of Paradise. Because it's just, it, so it's all like a retelling, in a way, of Final Fantasy One. which if you're a hardcore old fan, I think that'd be really fun. There's even weird stuff like you get to the world map, and you choose where to go next to go on your mission and stuff. Um, and then it's the world map from Final Fantasy One, And then you can just jump around cool. to these different locations. But then there's just weird stuff like when you get to the world map is the first time they tell you, by the way, you can like talk to people around the towns. It's like, what? So you're on the world map and then you like go in this menu and you choose who you want to talk to from the town and then it'll just teleport your character into the same spot as that character and they talk to you, but they just design it in a way so that you can't run around the towns themselves. It's just a series of fascinating, bizarre decisions. Um, you know, as your character dies at some point, he goes like, "This sucks." It's just, it's, it's. Why is that? What it is, is like. This sounds like a you. fever dream. This it sounds is. like a dream you had of a game you played, and then yes. you're trying to describe it and remember all of the main points. Also, I want to shout out. Um, so on Twitter, Sarah had clipped out part of her stream, the, oh, the, yeah? the min max stream, and uh, captioned it. Stranger of Paradise is actually a speed reading game, not a video game. And it's her going into a menu and starting to read like some I'm, I'm sorry, character description lore or something. Yeah. And then it just starts auto scrolling faster than like at a speed <laughs> that is like for a professional newscaster reading breaking news about like a highway stop gone wrong. Like, yeah. Like the and then just the clips really good, too, because, you know, Sarah's great streaming and great, like clipping out these moments. But it's just you can just start to see her try to, like, grab on the words and they just keep going. And she's like, that's what it's this like game so feels rough. like. You're trying to wrap your brain around it and then it just keeps scrolling fast and you can comprehend for like, what is going on? I have to hold down the touchpad button to talk to people. It's just like a series of baffling decisions. It is is the magic of this this game and the reason that kind of the discourse changed on it just because it's going to be a really good streaming game. 
Maybe. Like, streamers are going to have so much fun, like, looking at such a weird game. I think maybe that might be part of it. I think a part of it too, you know, and I'm curious to see like the big like Neo fans if they're if they're all in on this thing for the actual mechanics of the gameplay and stuff. But I think it's just a case of, you know what, if the gameplay's fun, all else is forgiven. You know, it's not overly wordy. It's not too far up its own butt. It's just the right amount of up its own butt. You know what I'm talking about. I think also like the vibe I get, I know people are going to get upset by this, but this is just my perspective on a thing that you love. So just deal with it. Um, Final Fantasy, even I haven't played a lot of Final Fantasy. You know, I've only played seven remake actually, uh, which I think combat wise, that game is fantastic. Yes. Really great combat. I think the rest of the game, I'm good. Is perfect. Is good because you're good because it's good. If Final Fantasy VII Remake is the pinnacle of Final Fantasy writing, that right. speaks volumes about how bad the rest of the writing in the series must be. Because Get I it, no, don't say the that. truth! Don't say like, the truth! And the vibe I get, and like I've seen Final Fantasy fans drag this game too. So it's yeah. not like, oh, it's not like I'm saying Final Fantasy fans and critics are in case. There's plenty of, this one, the scores are all over the place. Like there's some people that are like, this yeah. is trash. Some people are like, it's kind of like, it's like good, bad, or like there's like a lot of interesting conversations coming from it. But I feel like, you know, you bringing up, um, oh my God, what's Kingdom Hearts? Yeah. It does feel a little apt because like, I don't know, there's something about these games that people love and I feel like they'll love it through some things that maybe wouldn't fly in another context because they have that love. I think the real question is, is there a degree to which that breaks because I do think it's again not a one-to-one comparison but it kind of reminds me of like everyone loves but loved Bethesda's jank until they didn't so I'm wondering right. if like could this be yeah. the beginning of like will there be a, a breaking point but again you look at Kingdom Hearts and like there is no breaking point there's just broken people so <laughs> I don't know we'll see what happens just all the way down yeah, yeah. it's it's a good kind question kind of reminds me of uh, Revengeance just the way people are talking I, about ooh, it yes. I think we'll have a similar I, legacy ooh, right ooh Kyle, that is a fantastic analogy. You completely it, you nailed it. it. It totally feels like a Middle Gear Rising Revengeance. Um, oh, somebody, uh, Nick, uh, watching at the backstage past here, watching us live, he said, talk about the classes. Yeah, I should mention that. So the cool thing is that you can like hot swap between different builds. And I'm forgetting if this was a Neo thing. I want to say maybe it was, but I, I didn't play uh, nearly enough of that game to remember it in any real capacity. But um, so the cool thing is you can like build out multiple different classes. It's like, okay, here is my... Um, Lancer, basically, you know, Dragoon build. Here is my Mage build. And then you can just hit Triangle to like hot swap between those in the middle of combat. And so there's a mm. lot of just really cool ideas in there. All great ideas. Um, so that's that's Stranger of Paradise. I'm sure uh, Sarah will talk about it more in the podcast in the future. Um, you can follow us on Twitch to watch her stream that uh, interesting thing. There's also, it's a Final Fantasy time of year because they also released Jocobo, Chocobo GP which is the Chocobo kind of the, uh, I guess. Are you, are you betraying your feelings about it by calling it Jocobo? <laughs> Did I call it Jocobo? Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I like those old Chocobo racing games a little bit. Um, I started this thing and they have like a free trial on Switch. It seems like people are quite pissed at this um, because it is a $50 game, but it really is pushing the season pass on you. And it's a lot of pop-ups mm-hmm. and a lot of currencies and a lot of like, you want this character? All right, well then get the season pass. Blah, blah, blah. It's really, it's kind of obnoxious. The gameplay is fine. It's, you know, it's a card racer. It feels like it absolutely could have been a free-to-play uh, game. Um, here's a here's a conundrum for you guys. Um, do you want to <laughs> play a twisted game that I just came up with? Sure. Great. Sure. All right. um, this is inspired by Easy Allies' podcast and their press release me segment, but I'm going to play the title theme to Chocobo GP. This is this is playing during the menus 
when is it you, Frank Sinatra's My Way? <laughs> it is Frank Sinatra's My Way. We're going to get dinged hard right on YouTube. The chorus. Careful yeah. how much you play. Okay, yeah. okay. When, when you don't want to hear any more of this song, you raise your hand. Okay? Otherwise, okay. here we go. This is Chocobo GP's main theme. Take it away. There's a, there's a narrative here, so I'm in, unfortunately. I'm never raising my hand. Good. <laughs> I'm torturing everyone. Play more, folks. Here we go. Yeah, I do, I do have a soft Kyle, spot. I do love a video game theme song that explains what the game is. Usually you save that for the credits. Very bold of them to put it uh, in the opening start screen. But, uh... All right. I, I just, I, I was playing this and I was like, this sums up exactly what's going on with Square these days. This idea of, I'm sure that sounded great in, in Japanese, but they're just shoehorning those <laughs> lyrics into English and it's like, no, just list sure all these. Is the right word? <laughs> what's that? Is sure the right word? You're sure it sounded great? I'm I'm confident. Confident it, it sounded great. It was already hanging on by a thread with the instrumentation. Now granted, I'm like, okay, fine. Maybe going for like an old school vibe mm -hmm. um i'm just disappointed that they had the word me lucky but then didn't say chocobo gp i was waiting for the name no. drop to come in mm -mm. and they never did do you know how many so other names of items and summons from final fantasy they had to squeeze in there they don't got time for the name of the game in here <laughs> it'd be too mean but like what is the worst like video game song like that because like mm. i'm not gonna front when i rolled credits on unpacking and that song kicked in yeah you weren't a fan like apologetic shout out to the person that wrote it because I know it's like, I don't know, some small R's, but it's like, it's just such a weird, it's, it is a song that, you gotta go look it up if you haven't rolled credits. It's like, I like it, I don't to know, be clear, like just the, to get ahead of this criticism. I, I like that as the ending. I, I didn't like it, but I will say, it did get kind of in my head, and I did find myself singing it later. I'm like, unpack your life. Like, I don't even know what, I'm like, you take the tape. I was like, yo, this, it like kind of hits, but it kind of doesn't. It's maybe good, but it's the Final Fantasy origin paradise of Stranger or whatever the hell that title is. You got it. Of and, uh, outro songs, but yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with Kyle. Look, at a time and a place for the song that explains everything about the game, I think. But I think I think this one, yeah, it's just it's that case of trying to cram everything Final Fantasy into a song and then the English translation, the English version is just like, it's clunky, you get it. It's, look, that's the state of square these days is a lot of the decisions they make are incomprehensible, but then we get games like Quiet Man and Triangle Strategy coming out the other side and we're all trying to keep up with I don't know what's happening creatively on the other side of this fence but on this end it is perplexing um, Janet you've been playing Triangle Strategy yeah I spent um, four hours with it and I'm still not through the demo so the demo really? is very sizable um, yeah huh. and like in general especially like 
especially from Square, but there's been a, quite a few of these like bigger like kind of RPGs or JRPGs that tend to have really meaty demos on the Switch. Like yeah. I think at the time, Dragon Quest Builders, like the demo for that was like 10 hours or something. Now, granted, that game's like mm. stupid long, but it's really nice that like yeah. the demo matches what may, you know, like I think demos should definitely be contextual in length. Like with Kirby, maybe, yeah, the, lev- the level's fine. You don't need 10 hours of like a 12 hour Kirby game. I don't know how long the game actually is, but you know. Um, <laughs> right. So if you're interested in the game at all, I definitely recommend checking out the demo. Um, everyone said that the demo is very slow and I would agree with that. It is, it takes what it's a lot of, you know, Kyle, you mentioned like, I love when a game just starts. Well, this is not that game. It's very much like <laughs> the four places of many years ago, the salt mines, something. It's like a lot of nouns. It's a lot of nouns and names and yeah, it's like the salt cast over there. And then they're like, and then the the dad of the daughter of the Persephone, her hair is pink, like the ages. I'm like, what? I don't, I'm catching half of this, but the gameplay is pretty solid. So that's kind of like my TLDR of it. Yeah. And And the lore gets more comprehensible as they parse it down okay yeah so the the big takeaway this is um the octopath traveler team it looks like octopath traveler except it's a little bit more final fantasy tactics inspired i heard that there's not actually that much combat in it that a lot of it is just the lore which was all i needed to hear to be like all right sorry i'm out sorry triangle strategy I'm, i'm sure you're gonna have your fans and i know people in the community are playing it and enjoying it but i don't think i can do with just a super lore heavy square game at this point mm. uh, but maybe maybe i'm completely in the wrong i do you think you're going to stick with it janet do you feel like the the demo is enough for you to be like oh, i get it triangle strategy seems cool the demo did make me want to buy it but because i have yet to buy it it's like what's gonna happen with this you know like mm-hmm. i we'll see like next time i'm at because i, I kind of want it physical as well so i'm like you know i'll probably be hitting up something to get kirby physical also so maybe like when i'm there i just like do my trade-ins and like get this game or whatever but yeah i was the the demo it did demo well in my opinion um but yeah chat's right like live chat saying there's like three battles in the demo Jesus. um other i tweeted about it and someone's like i'm eight hours into the game and i've only done like one or two more battles so okay. i will say that doing? is a ding oh if you're God. looking to <laughs> just if you don't care about the story and you just want to do combat, like yeah. that probably wouldn't work for you. But I will say the story is starting to develop and get more layers of intrigue, in my opinion. Like, I'm not a big fan of like crazy lore dumps and the inner workings of like the politics of these this pixel people. But yeah. it looks beautiful. And I think there's some fun drama going on um with the characters and i enjoy some drama like there's a lot of smack talk okay. like i'm sure some betrayal will come in yeah. so i'm like okay i might i might roll with this but um it's definitely a slow burn and um but i do think the tutorializations are pretty solid like i'm not a tactics person and even with that i feel like i can grasp and do things it takes me a long time to go through the battles but i feel like i'm understanding the strategies here um the triangle strategies that are here thank you um which is i think you know a compliment to its design because again i really only played with tactic stuff um you know uh freaking mario rabbits oh weird yeah a little bit of uh overland Overland actually was pretty uh, digestible in my opinion as well. So, yeah. 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 Um, Triangle Strategy. Obviously, it's like, hey, that's a dumb name. And we talked about it just on the last episode of the podcast. I think uh, Square rolling out more games that are, you know, questionable. I think it's uh, fair to say for what exactly their strategy is with Diofield Chronicle. I guess it's always been a Square thing is to have the games with the very confusing names and stuff. But I just had a moment of... I think it was last week in the podcast of just like breaking with Square of just <laughs> my brain cannot comprehend what's going on over there. I want to sit down 
with the heads of that company and just pick their brain to figure out what do you think is happening? What is your strategy to succeed in the game industry these days? Because on this side of things, I am so confused. And when you go back and look at their games, I just went back to like the start of 2018. It is like ding after ding after ding. And these are dings as in like golf balls hitting your car, not a good ding, like a level up ding. Kyle, can you shed light on <laughs> what's the takeaway from Square over the last couple of years? What are they doing? Because obviously, just, just I'll keep rambling now. Stuff like Babylon's Fall came out from Platinum, one of the most beloved developers out there, came out, um, was annihilated. It's a live service game. The community does not like it, does not want it. They're now putting out surveys like, should we overhaul the graphics? What do you want from Babylon's Fall? Just tell us. And the answer is just anything but this trash, apparently. <laughs> Can you make it uh, the next near game? Right, <laughs> right, right. I don't know, man. What do you think's going on over there, I think, yeah, I, this is all just making assumptions. I, I'm not, I'm certainly not turned off by it. I, I You see yeah. kind of like, frustrated by it but I kind of like how it feels like Square is just like really trying to do other things and start new IPs and different things like that so and I think what I what I would assume is their sort of strategy is maybe a bit of like they're trying to find the next hit right they have (laughs) Final Fantasy they're trying to diversify and and find something that would appeal to those people who buy a million copies of Final Fantasy but maybe give an opportunity for new internal creators to, you know, make their own Final Fantasy and like come up with some new sort of like fantasy, you know, uh, they franchise that is appeals to RPG people. I think they're just being very experimental. Yeah. And I don't th- and a lot of those experiments are not being successful. But then there are the things like Nier Automata that, you know, ended up being a huge hit and, and you could argue that's not really an experiment because it's a sequel but it was like but, a really unexpected sequel yeah. to like a game that was beloved but didn't really sell well you're right you're right you know what i went back to 2018 just return to factor in and look back at what square has been doing recently but you're right if i went back to 2017 it's like that's a great example i think of making a sequel to a cult hit and completely knocking it out of the park yeah i, I agree like as confusing as they are going back and looking at their track record it's like i don't think any publisher, at least I went back and made some comparisons back to 2018, and I think they're number one for publisher trying new IP. And a lot of them feel similar, mm. feel like RPGs, feel like fantasy-based games. But since 2018, yeah. they, they look have, like Square Enix games in like undefinable ways, right? Right, like, right. Not, yeah. yeah, but they've released uh, Lost Sphere, which is the Tokyo RPG Factory game, which did not exactly find an audience. Octopath Traveler, The Quiet Man, which obviously was a disaster. Left Alive, which I guess was in the Front Mission universe, but do you remember Left Alive, Jeffem? Absolutely. It's a stealth game with robots. It came and went so fast. Really awesome cover art. Like, really fantastic cover art. Right? Yeah, that's right, because the middle of your solid mm-hmm. artist there. Um, Oninaki, which was another game that Tokyo RPG Factory released. Balan Wonderworld. Uh, Dungeon Encounters voice. Wait, hold of- on, maybe I'm not as optimistic about this. <laughs> exactly. Well, see, they're they're all over the place. Dungeon Encounters voice of cards, which last year were kind of their two smaller experimental games from big Square internal talent. Babylon's Fall, Triangle Strategy. Then we have Diefield Chronicles for Spoken coming up. Outriders also Square taking a big stab. And then you have right. yeah, and then you have other you know not new IP but stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers. I mean, Captain Spirit, Life is Strange. They are all over the place, and I worry about their longevity with the track record over the last several years here because nothing's hitting it out of the park. 
I mean, 14's got them covered. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Life is Strange is, like, really critically acclaimed. It is. Like, You're right. That's true. Guardians also did really well. Like, I, I don't think it's... Um, like, I would disagree with nothing's knocking it out of the park from Square, because, like, those are several, like, really big deal things. I think, though, if you maybe start to grade on, like, the how many at-bats do you have and how much, like, wins, like, do you have in comparison? But yeah. I think that's why, for me, like, seeing Square's association with projects isn't necessarily, like, oh, like, this is, they're circling the drain, this is a red flag. I think the games that they tend to make that are genres that I am more interested in tend to be fun. Like, I'm like, my genres are doing fine. I'm like, we got some action adventure. We got some story stuff. But like a JRPG from Square, uh, like it, I kind of know what I'm going to get with that, which has varying degrees of some degree of good, but maybe not that interesting. Yeah. Like with Triangle Strategy, for instance, like I'm not, you know, I'm not here to rate that game. Like I enjoyed it fine and I, I'm interested in continuing with it. I don't know if I will, um, but it didn't, you know, set the world on fire. But generally that is favorably received from people and, the, and some of the people that like it really like it. Um, there definitely are some big L's there, but I think it's definitely like a, a, a place, like a publisher slash developer that casts a very wide net. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot in there. Like, I don't think, unlike other like publishers or developers, I don't think you can necessarily look at them and say like their games aren't for me just in the sense that they, they make so many different types of games. Chances are like there are, there is a square game that you might end up playing like with Forspoken being one of the more, you know, on the radar for the industry. How good is that going to turn out? I don't know. But like there if you're gaming and playing a lot of, like the mainstream hits, you're probably hitting up Square like from time to time, like more often than not in a given year. Yeah, and I think we talked about you know not hitting out of the park. I, I think a big part of that, yeah, critically. I mean, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I love a lot of these games. I think sales wise, but people correctly in the backstage pass. I mean, outside of Final Fantasy fourteen, yeah, Kingdom Hearts three and Final Fantasy seven remake. Like, do not overlook how successful those were financially. Yeah. And, and totally, I, totally I, true. I was going to say, they're going to be writing the success of Final Fantasy VII Remake installments for like the next 15 years, so I think that gives them a little more leeway to try a bunch of other weird stuff. And I, I guess like a lot of it doesn't hit for me and is not even in my orbit of things that I would want to try, but I, I always appreciate when a, when a publisher is willing to take a lot of risks, try a lot of new IP. It's It sucks that they're hedging their bets on some of these with like, you know season passes and microtransactions and that kind of stuff but at, at least they're trying a lot of weird things and and I guess I I have been annoyed by some of Square's conventions for many many years but I I'll I'll take weird any day over you know like the same two and the same installment every year of like two or three series that do well for them yeah and you know there's it seems like there's a clear stratification here where Final Fantasy 7 it was infinite budget I believe for the remake Kingdom Hearts 3 seems uh, it's nearing that territory as well um, but then there's a, just kind of a, a lower tier of budget where they're allowed to get a little bit more experimental stuff like Valkyrie Elysium where it's like oh, let's make a sequel to Valkyrie Profile for everybody but you can tell from the look of it like okay it's a cross-gen game it's a PS4 game you can certainly feel it even stuff like Neo The World Ends With You it's like wow they actually made a sequel to the world ends with you. That's awesome. It's like, okay, last gen only. It's coming to Switch. You know, th those types of things. But there's, at least they're finding room for it. One way or the other. Everything doesn't need mm. to be the gigantic, huge budget thing. And then like the lowest end of that tier is obviously stuff like Voice of Cards, which did get a sequel or expansion, whatever you want to call that. And stuff like Dungeon Encounters, where it feels like super small teams, at least trying stuff. Um, also, they did something really strange where recently 
they, well, I say strange, but awesome, where they started up a Square Enix music channel. Have you seen this? And it's just like... Oh, like on YouTube? Yep, it's just a YouTube channel. And it's like, hey, here's a playlist of like chill Final Fantasy songs. And it's just a bunch of different playlists. It's all the different songs. I think it's the same batch that they just uploaded to Spotify and stuff. But if you like Square Enix's games, you probably like some good old-fashioned Square Enix music. Um, and so you can check that check out that YouTube channel because it's an awesome archive just for having up in the background at this point. Um, and then they're doing enough remakes and remasters scattered in between all these bizarre attempts at new IP that maybe aren't taken off. It's like, okay, maybe they're sustainable enough. Um, but that's Square Enix, everybody. Let us know what you think about Square Enix in the comments. We'd love to hear your comments on that one. <laughs> and honestly, like, I, this is this is too dorky. I realized at a certain point, like, oh, I feel like I need Imran Khan on the podcast or something to really get this geeky about, like, comparing new IP from the different publishers over the last couple of years. But I went through and, like, looked at Capcom, and it's like... I was just trying to think of, like, a comparison for Square. And it's just like, Capcom, in, since 2018, their only new IP is Exoprimal and Pragmata, which are coming out in the future. You know, it's just... It's a wasteland out there. Like EA's yeah. trying with a bunch of smaller stuff. Nintendo's trying with a bunch of smaller stuff. Sony is doing a pretty good yeah. job overall. But outside of that, like no one's really pushing as hard as Square is yeah. trying to. Ubisoft had like Phoenix Rising. Is that was that like the Immortals, last? Immortals. What else? Have they Riders had? Republic. Okay, yeah, Rider. But that almost feels like a spinoff. They had game. um. They haven't canceled that thing yet, have they? Or have they? That that dodgeball game? Not dodgeball. Shoot, it's not dodgeball. It's a uh, roller. Skate oh champions. God! Right? Yeah, is that, that, yeah, did that I say counts. that right? I don't remember. Roller what, is, derby? Right? Is it roller skate champions? If you Google that, you'll get close enough to what the real answer yes, is. Yes, roller champions. Not. Um, I don't know. I don't think they've I don't officially think they canceled, canceled that it. Yet. Yeah, yeah, they're certainly trying things. Um, it's a weird thing. And then also, this is bundled into this weird saga as well. But um, <laughs> the idea that Square is kind of, sort of, accidentally through a back door in a way making the new Perfect Dark game. Look, I don't know if you saw this whole saga. Um, oh, obviously, I mean, when talking about the releases, talking about the Avengers is a, is a big miss and you know, Japan sure. released a statement saying they're disappointed in the Avengers or the wrong team for the wrong project and Guardians are disappointed by the sales and all that stuff. But then with Perfect Dark, which is Xbox's big game and the initiative is building it. Um, Video Game Chronicle reports, uh, they had a, a, a big breakdown just analyzing the LinkedIn page and noticing that Let's see, what is it? Like over half of the team leads for the Perfect Dark reboot have left the studio. Apparently there's a lot of frustrations about the way that studio is structured. And so Microsoft trying to build up this new studio to make a Perfect Dark reboot, it's going through its development challenges and then they tapped Crystal Dynamics, which is the Square studio, to co-develop. But now it seems like based on that article that it's like, yeah, it was co-developed, but so many leads have left that Crystal almost feels like the lead developer of Perfect Dark at this point. So... It's just a bizarre world. Um, and, you know, a reminder that starting a new studio and working on a new project that's new for that team, at least, pretty damn hard. Not many studios have pulled <laughs> it off well, but especially Microsoft does not have a great track record of building up studios from nothing. So I'm obviously very interested in that entire saga. So I'm looking to see how Perfect Dark ends up. Um, hey, should we move on to some fun stuff in the podcast? Fun stuff. Podcast. All right, great. Can it get more fun than breaking down new IP? I don't think so, Janet. I like it. I had a good time doing it this morning. Um, but hey, check it out, everybody. Uh, if you enjoy this show, you can help support this show. If you enjoy new IP breakdowns and just the podcast in general, you can head on over to patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Please help support independent games media and unlock some great perks at the same time. Jeff, isn't that how this whole thing operates? 
that that wasn't the normal question. I know, I, know. I was throwing yeah. you off, throwing you off, dude. Right. Yeah, that is how it operates, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Smooth as silk. Uh, thank you to MinMax's biggest supporters, including Voices in My Head from Unexpected Games, the new tabletop game that's inspired by Pixar's Inside Out. You play in a courtroom, one person's the... Uh, prosecutor, everybody else is playing and competing to control different parts of the defendant's brain. Uh, it has a different storyline every time. It's a wacky courtroom. A bunch of different things can happen. And you're actually pushing and sliding the pieces around in a very fun way to dominate the different regions of the defendant's brain. You're trying to like nudge the other pieces of cardboard off that. So if you enjoy a very strong theme for your tabletop games with plenty of table talk and absurd situations there, you can check out Voices in My Head from Unexpected Games, everybody. And thank you to our friends at Fixture Gaming. They want everybody to know about the Fixture S1. This is a clip that you put on your Nintendo Switch Pro controller and then you slide the screen on top of that so you can play with the greatest Nintendo Switch controller on the go because you know when you're on the road with a nintendo switch and you got the joy cons and you want to just rip your hands off because they're so uncomfortable and you just <laughs> miss that nintendo switch pro controller well the fixture s1 is here to help look up an image of this thing and you'll say ah oh, i see why that's handy it's very convenient and lovely so check out the fixture s1 there is a link below everybody and there is a fixture fixture s2 on the way um, that'll support the oled models so look forward to that also, thank you, of course, to our friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about the fantastic soundtrack to Genesis Noir, one of my favorite indie games from last year. Genesis Noir, the vinyl soundtrack, is available on I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. It is a double album. It has Easter eggs for audio sleuths, they say, since it is a detective story, after all. Music by Skillbard, Adam Art by Genesis Noir creator Evan Anthony. And this, of course, includes the digital soundtrack. So it's a cool thing to have on your shelf, and you still get the digital soundtrack track and you can go to iMadeBits wonderful online store they are huge supporters of ours please help thank them by going to the link below in every description iMadeBits wonderful online store and using the promo code March Madness March Madness no space use that promo code you get 10% off and you should help support iMadeBit because they support us in a big way because they support the community in a big way because each and every week they pick out while well, we pick out our favorite question or comment submitted over on Patreon. If you support us at the $2 tier on Patreon, you can submit a question on the show. We choose our favorite, and then iMapeBit ships them something very nice. This week, Jeffum, it is a double vinyl soundtrack to the game uh, Mutazione. I've been calling it Mutazone, but it is Mutazione. Apparently is how you pronounce this, and it's the vinyl soundtrack mm. to that. And it's French. Ooh, thank you. Can you say it better, Janet? No. Damn it. <laughs> um, but uh, if you want a reason to jump in and support MinMax right now, heads up that whoever has the best question next week on the podcast will win a Weezer vinyl album. The Weezer mm. Wave Break album. It's the, where they made the song for that game Wave Break, Wave Break called Tell Me What You oh, Want, yeah. which is a weird yeah. collaboration that happened. So if you want to own and win a Weezer album, for free, uh, you can jump in and support us on Patreon and submit a question next week. Um, all right, here we go. Look alive. we got to find the absolute best question here. So Barnsley Pal writes in. He says, burning question of the week. Somebody beat Elden Ring in under 30 minutes. What's taking you guys so long? <laughs> you know what? Good point. Excellent point. Have you watched Thank you for the... finally asking. I didn't you... want to say anything. Yeah, we're all blowing it. Uh, Janet, yeah, by the way, I'm sorry. As somebody who isn't consumed by Elden Ring... I'm so sorry for your gaming podcast future because it's going to be another two months of everybody just talking about Elden Ring or at least wanting to talk about Elden Ring. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry for And then it'll loss. come back up again around December. <laughs> oh my god, in a big way. Are you annoyed yet, Janet, by the Elder Ring conversations? Do you feel like you've had enough? No, it's nice to have like an easy excuse on like why I'm not playing this game because it's like it's such a specific kind of game that it's like one of the few that you don't have to play versus like if it, you know, I don't know. There's other ones where it's sort of expected that everyone has an opinion on it. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. I, I, I mean, I it's still mean. installed. Yeah. I still have it installed, right? right? I have yet to delete, but also I have to download like three games, so it probably it probably ain't gonna make the cut once like Ghostwire and everything starts coming in. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, this stuff. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that speed run yet, but uh, Kyle, you can watch it since you beat the game uh, this last weekend, right? You can check out that thirty minutes. Yeah, speed run. I, I, yeah, I would be curious to watch it actually. I, I'm, I'm thinking about that new game plus more than really? I usually do for these kind of games. Yeah, I. Nice. There's at least. There's one boss, there's the optional boss that everyone is just complaining about on Twitter that I just right. decided I didn't want to go after. Yeah. Um, that has a trophy. And then the other trophies are like, get every item, which is a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh-uh. But uh-uh. Um, there's, oh, there's also other endings too that you have to replay the full game to get. So, uh, If you had to describe um, your love of Elden Ring throughout the course of it, was it... Was it... Like, can you make that sound and just let us know uh, the arc uh, of your love? The curve, the curve would be like, like really high, and then kind of like, like dipping a little bit as you get toward the end, and then kind of yeah. spiking again right at the right at the end. Maybe. Ooh, interesting. Okay, good. There enough. was there was a bit. There was some brick walls near the end. I mean, the people have talked about it. The the, the second half of the the bosses, some of them are are you know from more frustrating than early stuff. You know, and you hit a point where you like you either farm. There's not a ton left to explore, so maybe you found a good farming spot, which I did. But yeah. it's like, how much do you want to like, you know, knock salamanders off cliffs for an hour? <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, that seems pretty good. Um, yeah, I listened to it. Bob Odenkirk's um, autobiography. That was like my my Elden Ring <laughs> companion. Weirdly, well, you need to be listening to like you know music that energizes you, not Bob Odenkirk's autobiography. That's your problem. It energizes That's me. I want to hear about that guy's life. Nah, I love Mister Show dearly, nah, nah, very close nah, nah. to my heart. Uh, by the way, yeah, we talked a lot more about Elden Ring on Party Chat, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast. Uh, if you want to hear even more of uh, Jeff and Kyle and I unpack on that thing. Yeah. By uh, the way, Hanson, he does. He has about a chapter or so talking about working with Spielberg. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, am I dumb? What what movie? Uh, the uh, I I haven't seen it, but it's the one about the journalists that he did like oh, that's while right. Ready Player One was in post production. Yeah, yeah, uh, the post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. I yeah. forgot he was in that. Uh, Nick Olson writes in and says, "Hey Max, I'm trying a new shorthand for MinMax. I don't care for that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's fine. Every once in a while, there's a YouTube comment that th- apparently thinks that my name is Max, or they're just messing with me. I don't know. It's very yeah. Bizarre. Well, I mean, <laughs> when I told my boyfriend about like this show and this like company, he's like, so who's like." Why is it Min Max? Who's is someone like Min? Is someone Max? I like look. It's like a whole. It's just a whole thing. Just don't even worry about it. Wouldn't it be fun though if we found two new cohorts that were like Mini and Max, Maxwell and Mini? Yeah, I think that'd be really. That cute. would be. That's uh, how we decide. Janet, who we did have. I ask you who kinda and funny are? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they don't. It's complicated. He didn't. Yeah, but uh, that's not. It's one of those. Na- I think all names work once you do them, because like you know, I was trying to come up with like my site, like which I came up with Pentapixels after many, many horrible. Even if you don't like that name, yeah, you should have saw what I had before. Um, and I'm like, there's no world where like my family would have let me name my site like something like kind of funny, but it just ends up working for that yep. brand. So it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, but Nick says, hey, do you worry that Elden Ring will make Game of the Year uh, kind of boring this year? A little bit. Is there anything that will even come remotely close to unseating it? 
yeah, this is pack this it is up. like pack it up, Nick. Here's a weird. I don't know. This is a weird, genuine thought I've had, but I I don't want Breath of the Wild two to come out this year because I just don't want to have to like compare them. I don't want to have that conversation like for hours and hours. Yeah, but that's good. Just January first. You're Breath part of, of this family. Two. You're gonna sit down and you're gonna talk about no. where what has a better <laughs> horse. But I mean, I think it, it honestly that question like. A lot of years, it's boring. Um, there's a lot of obvious answers in a lot of years, or like two answers. Like, and this year's going to be no different. Like, a lot of people are going to say Elden Ring. Everyone's either going to say Elden Ring or like one other random game they like decided that they picked because they didn't play Elden Ring. That's most people. You know, I'm sure there will be a few people that played through Elden Ring and still don't pick it for their game of the year. But I think that's more few yeah. and far between. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, every outlet and every award show does it differently, and I think there are still like interesting conversations to be had even if we all agree on one thing like the way we do it here with the 210s it's like we spend a lot of time just talking about games we loved and then eventually ranking them so sure maybe that ranking will be easy but like we also easily ranked chicory when it came down to it we're like yeah yeah i guess chicory right and everyone's like yep and then we're done so i don't necessarily think that the excitement is figuring out what different outlets are going to come up with it's the process of that rather than the result in my opinion so i think so. i will say yeah. though i have not been as confident about like loving a game probably since breath of the wild like i don't really? know anything that could really unseat it for my game of the year now this is maybe except a- for maybe breath of the wild too like that's maybe the only thing yeah and i'm not trying to just highlight people being mean but it's tough not to because it's interesting because like we think that like the first big conversation we had about elden ring on the podcast and you literally led with like it's Dark Souls for everybody. <laughs> like you started which, on the such thing a that negative I was getting note. at that, which I, I mean, it's funny to think about that in retrospect. Was what I was trying to say is like, don't expect this to be totally new. It was more for like people who were unsure, who didn't know if they liked from games. Is really kind of what I was getting at. I still feel that the game could totally be Dark Souls four. I still feel that way. Yeah, but it, like I just that was it was mostly like an explainer of like if you played Dark Souls and you didn't like it, I don't know that Elden Ring's gonna like bring you in. And I still I still feel that way. I feel the opposite. I feel like everyone under the sun could learn yep. to love it. Um, here's here's a hypothetical for you. I've been thinking about this. I've been stewing. I've been stewing in a big pot of this one for a while now. Hypothetically, Jeff, um, yes. Here we go. This is for you. Really open your brain on this one. Genuinely cast your mind into a world, an alternate okay. reality where no other Soulsborne game was ever released. From software still exists, but they went right from Armored Core 5 or whatever. I don't know what their last non-Soulsborne game. It went right from that to suddenly this year, Bandai Namco publishes Elden Ring. This thing comes out completely out of nowhere. But there's never been a Demon Souls, there's never been a Dark Souls, there's never been anything. My question is, how long would it take, have taken, do you think, for people in the industry to call this game a masterpiece? Do you think we've been conditioned and we've been slowly seeping in the juices and now we get to say, yes, this is a masterpiece? Like, if it came out of the blue, I think... I mean... I'm trying to wrap my yeah. mind around what if people would do. Right. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Right. Um, I think... I think slightly more people than the ones who thought Demon Souls was a masterpiece. Because yeah. when Demon Souls came out, there were definitely those people. Yeah. Who like Profits. the ones the ones who basically got stuck playing it um, were the ones who were like, oh, this is amazing. And the rest of us were just like, I don't get it. I think Elden Ring has a little more would would reach more people early on just yeah. because it's open world. 
and he had George R. R. Martin, whatever. Well, that's confusing. But, yeah. But I think it. But I think when when people start playing it, and and also now that it's you know twenty twenty two as opposed to. 2009. 10 years ago or whatever. I, I think that information would spread faster. But but I think it's, I don't know how much, I don't know how much conditioning you need for From Software's formula in the sense that like the first, the first one of those games that you played, like most people really ended up enjoying it and, and understanding the formula. So I don't, I don't know okay. how much like. I don't know how much I had to hear that Demon Souls was amazing because when I heard that, I was like, no, you guys are crazy and yeah. you're masochists and whatever. But then when I tried Dark Souls, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. So so I'm trying to imagine, like, okay, imagine it releases and it has, like, the same level of hype as, like, a Scarlet Nexus or something. It's just like, you know, I think, just imagine the From Software reputation before this where it's like, a From Software game? Yeah, sure, some weird Japanese thing, whatever. Like, do you think, like, in the initial initial wave of reviews... That people would be like ten out of ten. This game's a masterpiece. Yeah, you think so? In the same way that they were like that for Demon Souls, but not as not as much. I mean, what Game Informer gave Demon Souls what like eight seven five or something? I, I feel like if you go back and look at those Demon Souls, was it really hitting that hard out of yeah, the gate? No, there, it got Game of the Year from like a well, GameSpot. Like, I remember they were very yeah, smart. I mean, that's and that's all a big that. deal, you know. I mean, it, it yeah. broke through. But sure. that one I felt like yeah. was an anomaly. And you know what? Maybe I'm completely wrong on this. Let me. Yeah, you know what? I, I am wrong. IGN gave Demon's Souls a 9.4. Okay, I'll shut up now. Yeah, it turns out it's way It's off. got an 89. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, hypothetical down the drain. I'm sorry for wasting everybody's <laughs> time here. Uh, Ricky yeah. Winterborn writes in. Oh, okay. Shut it down. Uh, Ricky writes in. Ricky Winterborn, they say, Have y'all encountered any negative reactions to Elden Ring? And not intentionally ironic takes from game industry people. I'm talking genuine, unimpressed reactions. When I first walked into the open world and marveled, my wife said it looked like an outdated Switch game. I furiously tried to defend it, and she said, no, wait, it looks like Oblivion. I sighed, and I've ignored her since. Well, don't ignore your wife, Ricky. Um, I I know somebody, I won't point fingers just so they won't get lambasted, but I know somebody who started playing it and was like, this game looks like crap. Like, especially compared to Horizon, it looks like crap. I don't want to play it anymore. I think a lot of people are too afraid <laughs> to say anything <laughs> if they don't like it. Slash, I think it's just a little bit, as someone that, like, has unabashedly not liked or thought some games weren't as hot as people think they are, like, the reason that I'm not talking a lot about my opinions on Elden Ring is, like, I feel like I would need to spend more time with it, and I don't want to spend more time with it necessarily because I wasn't Ooh, that into it. Okay. So then I just don't have... You end up not hearing... It doesn't end up becoming an echo chamber because... If you don't like it, you probably figure that out kind of early and then you don't have anything else to say. So, like, what am I going to do? Like, deep dive on the intricacies of how very okay I felt like picking up that one thing was? Like, it's it's just not... To me, I don't feel like I'm adding anything to the conversation. Uh, That, of course, doesn't always keep people from talking. But, like, I think generally that's kind of the vibe. Um, I've seen people that like the game um, maybe, like, get... I want to say hung up, but like focus in on some of the negatives. And a lot of times those people will like resurface on Twitter like, oh, I guess I can't say anything bad about this game. That's why I put up a tweet the other day that was like that, um, that, that hanging meme. And I'm like, first time, like, right, yeah, right. I mean, that, that's the reality, unfortunately. Like when you have criticisms about something that everyone loves, people are going to be like, you're dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and if you're not used to that, maybe you don't want to necessarily bring that on. It, it, you know, so I think that's one reason there's been a lot of, um, Silence in that regard. As far as this anecdotal, though, with like his wife being like, this game doesn't look very good. Uh, I'm kind of there with you, honestly. Like I was streaming this game and like it doesn't matter because like I don't really I'm not a graphics person like that anyway. But I'm like, it looks fine. 
Like it doesn't mm. look impressive to me. And people were watching me stream like, oh my God, it looks so good. I'm like, bro, we looking at the same game? Cause like it's, oh, it looks very it normal look, to me. Yeah, for a cross-gen game, I get it. That said like- Are you telling me you're visually blown away by Elden Ring? I mean, maybe yes, you aren't. People I am. said they are. Yes, I absolutely I'm, am. I'm not at all. There, there's been- I think it looks totally normal. Uh, there is a handful of moments that I've encountered in 60 hours of that game that genuinely have been like, oh my God, to look at. Well, for, for me, I mean, it's- it's really fantastic art direction. Right, right. But not a very technically beautiful game. It's kind of how That's I That's what like I mean. That, yeah. Right. Like I think that yeah. like the the tree in the background looks amazing I, as a piece of art. I don't know. But that, as like a technical showcase, especially if you come in right from Horizon, like that's you know, it's hard to beat. I think there's still a big difference between, you know, just saying like, oh, the art direction is good. I consider that something like Breath of the Wild, whereas visually, you know, there's definitely some rough edges for Breath of the Wild, whereas other ring i don't notice anything nearly as bad as that and like yeah if you're seeing some amazing vista filled with a ton of detail which is what's blowing me away every once in a while in Elder ring just looking at the size of this castle you stumble across that type of thing like it's not like i'm yeah, squinting the, my eyes through the art direction to, to appreciate the castle oh did we lose jeff him <laughs> well, he was about to say something negative. Yeah, so. yeah I kicked you know, him the, the art direction coming from his camera is pretty solid, even though he's not moving at all. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Do you uh, think we're waiting for him to come back. Like, I, I think it was smart of you, Hanson, to, to not call out anyone specific. But a friend of the show <laughs> was like, "I'm going to give this a real shot. I'm going to try it. We're going to do multiplayer with a friend." And like a, a few hours later, he they tweeted like, "We can't figure it out. We just right. cannot figure it out, and right. we're frustrated. And I'm going to play something else." And I'm like. That is a perfectly reasonable reaction to trying to figure out multiplayer in Elden Ring. I do, do not find that offensive in any way. Right. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, we have Jeff back. Though. Hey, Jeff, the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna make a criticism about Elden Ring, but it, they shut my internet off. <laughs> <for> that. <laughs> That's what happens. I, I, I was gonna say, it, it does look good. Like those, those vistas, like you said, look great. I think a lot of it is the art direction, but there's, there are the things like. Characters' mouths don't move when they talk, or if there are if characters you look up close. If you look up <laughs> close to characters, you know, like sure. just random people, it's it's not the kind of fidelity that you would expect from something like a Horizon. I I think it it works better as a kind of whole package. But yeah, I I can understand when people aren't completely blown away. I I think I think you get there if you're. The more invested in the world you are, the more you see in some, you know, like some locations are much more breathtaking than other others. And a lot of that is like the variety in art and stuff like that. So I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't point to it as like a showcase of the most detailed models and those kind of things. But yeah, it works kind of more as a whole. Right, right, right. Christopher Grady writes in and says, Hello, Min Max. Uh, when I was young, I learned the difference between shampoo and conditioner. All thanks, and Jeff, take notes on this. All thanks to the bathtub scene in Billy Madison. Please tell me I'm not the <laughs> only one who learned life tips from a grown man in a bubble bath. Shampoo is better. <laughs> that was basically every comment on the podcast last week in all its different forms was people doing the Billy Madison yeah. bathtub scene. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... I noticed that too, to the point where I went and looked up all the ingredients oh, no. on my shampoo. Oh no! And guess what? They're yeah. the same damn things that are in body wash. Well, you well, you can say that about anything. I read a bunch of chemicals, like, and like, it turns I, out hey, a Cheeto is the same as no. carpet poison. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm sure you could say that. I appreciate the fact that there are other shampoos, guys, and uh-huh. I. I can't speak for all shampoos on the market. Right, right, but right. But the one I had, I looked up like the top five ingredients. Top five. That's were your all problem. Active cleansing agents that they all said were like balanced for your skin as well. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I got the magic shampoo that doesn't affect your skin. <laughs> I've been using it. It's been fine. Yeah, no. People can move on with their lives. We're not now. going to. Yeah, look, I could look at the top five ingredients for humans, and we're the same as a giraffe. Moving on. That's basically your strategy here, yeah, Jeff. We're pretty well, genetically similar to a banana. Jeff, yeah, we're basically the same as uh, a banana. You know, when I was a kid, just to talk shampoo for a little while, yeah. I, I, was, I thought it was uh, you did conditioner first because I thought you were <laughs> conditioning your hair. You were getting it ready for the shampoo. So as for a like kid, a long you time, I was doing conditioner what a first. Freak. So as a kid, you knew what the word Let's conditioning meant. Let's all make fun of Kyle now. What oh, a I can't. I can't. I can't. Disgusting. I'm disgusted in you, Kyle. <laughs> You're a monster. You're welcome, Jeff. I'm doing this for you. Hanson's not coming back. <laughs> I decided to come back. Um, and then uh, Christopher asks, have any of you learned anything like that from unexpected places? And it's weird. It, it feels, like, feels like a very similar thing. But I remember in my head still... The reason I know that changing lanes in an intersection is illegal is because of Liar Liar. When he's confessing everything, he goes, I changed lanes in an intersection while running a red light and speeding! And he does like that whole long thing. Like I listened to that so many times that it's just burned into my soul. It's like, oh, that's right. I got That's the reason I passed my driver's test, I think, because I watched Liar Liar so many times. Um, but then Christopher And Gady, that's why you never lie as well. That's right. And that's why I want to marry Maura Tierney. Um, but anyways, Christopher Grady asks, uh, bonus question, with the success of Elden Ring, do you think it'll be the most completed from software game? Yes. Ooh. It's so big, though. It's so big. Well, because it's a much larger player base, right? 12 million copies sold they announced, yeah. so there's more people playing it. So it'll bring that but average down. if there's a down. small pool of people who play Dark Souls 3, yeah, percentage of like who beat it. But Elden Ring is still the most approachable. Like It still is. Even though it does it get is, but, near the end, yeah, it is. But I feel like, and maybe I'm I'm wrong with this, but I feel like from software games have higher completion rates than you might think. Well, here's the thing, yeah. What, what, what do you think Bloodborne's at? Are you looking at like trophy stats or something? Yeah, for um, like the final beating the game for the trophy? final ten percent, ten percent. Yeah, maybe uh, lower. That sounds good. I would say like 30. twelve, maybe. Jeff, I'm correct. Thirty. 2%. That's really high, I feel like. Oh, that is high. Really high. Dark Souls 2, apparently, I don't know why Dark Souls 2 is 36%. So, boy, I, I wonder know. if it's one of those things where, like, if you start, you're in, right? Because, like, you either yeah, don't you don't start them. it because you're scared off by the difficulty, or you're 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 all the way in when you start. That's interesting. That yeah. is higher than I thought. I, I think with 12 million, 12 million sold, which, by the way, is, is bananas, um, it's like straight-up giraffe. Um, I, I do think that'll bring the average down quite a bit. Uh, Noah D. Yeah. We make straight up giraffe like a, like a, that's a good phrase. I like that. Well, Cause like nothing... giraffes stand up really tall and straight. That's a defining giraffe, thing. Man. Good job. You're streets ahead on this one. Uh, Noah D. writes in and says, Hey, cohorts, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, God of War, The Last of Us, Horizon, Days Gone, Death Stranding, and Death Stranding. <laughs> I don't know if they intentionally listed that twice, but that's my favorite joke. Anyways, what do these games have in common other than being PlayStation first-party exclusives? Why, I'll tell you. They're all third-person action games with some stealth elements and crafting with wheel item select UI. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I love these types of games, but I'm starting to get a little fatigued from the PlayStation exclusive formula specifically. S- valid? 
I like the wheel UI thing really got me where it's like, yeah, third person games with wheel UI. That it's, is that is it's it. It's funny because I, I actually don't like I agree with the general take, but not the examples used. I feel like this is this sounds kind of mean, but I feel like the examples this person used are like very generalized and apply to like a lot of games for me. What the real like repetitiveness of these PlayStation exclusives is uh, b- big deal drama, like set piece <laughs> moments that are really well done. Um, weird, like dad drama, weird, like um, weird pregnancy stuff. No spoilers for several games, uh-huh. literally several games. OK, uh, and then like funny enough, there's a scene where um Aloy like gets into a boat and I'm like this is like the Sony makes this in game over and over again and obviously I say that kind of joking but also there's a little truth to that joke because I do think it hits a lot of the same general motifs of like that kind of style of game like you're gonna get some in and for what's worth those games are fantastic like you get yeah. great gameplay and a hard-hitting story but a lot of the stories are pulling on the same kinds of emotional threads that we've seen several times over and I will say having played Horizon um, and I did love that story overall I did see a lot of connective threads to other big Sony IP and it did make me kind of I'm, I'm very curious as to what god of war is going to do and hopefully ways they might shake up some elements of things because i do yeah. think after a certain point it's like i get it you got daddy issues like you know and like hey there's been a million art forms made over the same like topics i'm not saying things can't be repeated but there definitely is a certain style and vibe to the big first party sony moments right another thing that combines the, the core question right are yeah. you tired of it right right I'm no. not yet because I no. love that stuff. Yeah. Like I'm a sucker. For, I'm like, put down the controller and bring out the popcorn. This is a movie now. Like I'm hanging out. Like I, I think they do it really well and I enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I am hoping that they keep me a little bit more on my toes. Like I think the fact that like I can only play this kind of small handful of games and be like, really this again, like is a little bit of a negative. Yeah. I'm a sucker for daddy. No doubt about it. Um, I think the, the secret to all those games and what unifies them here is uh, they also sell really well. Um, and so I'm sure there's a certain part of like, why would we shake up from these basic formulas? But, I mean, we talked about it a while ago on the podcast, the idea that uh, Sony's interested in making more uh, live service games, that they bought Bungie with that as a goal. And so I think they're naturally going to shift a little bit away from this mold that they've been in for the PlayStation 4 generation, at least. Yeah, I, I guess, like, careful what you wish for, because mm. I don't... <sighs> Live service is not as exciting to me as, hey, we're going to keep putting out giant open world games that are really well done and give you a lot of really quality content. Yeah, for sure. If I, I would. Well, it's a shame that Jeff was lost in that terrible accident. Uh, Hugo. He's about to criticize Elden Ring again. <laughs> yeah, we saw it in his face. We hit the mute button. Don't worry, Elden Ring fans. We got him. Hugo Aguilar writes in and says, hey, cohorts, uh, what's the most unforgivable game design? Um, a difficult boss with an unskippable cutscene right before. Great, it. yeah, that's just that's lack of design. That is really nice. I'd argue, yeah, yeah that that's a good I hate one. That. It's the worst. Um, let's see, what about only getting a tutorial for your game if you drop off a cliff in the beginning? Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm being told that's a good Honestly, idea. Honestly, that was that was super whack. Um, and like I sk- I missed that tutorial, and people were like, "Well, you just weren't." You just, it's your fault somehow. I'm like, how, this doesn't happen anywhere else. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. That's like, it is different. It's novel. It's different. It's different. But is it, you got to think about the classic question I always bring up. Is it that no one's thought of it or is it that it's a bad idea? So. Just no, gonna- I, 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 no, I think, 
I think it's neither. I think they think of it, of it and they think it's cool. I think it's a cool thing to hide this tutorial. And people say, what do you mean, hidden? That guy tells you to jump off the cliff. Like, if you start one of those games for the first time, it is nothing but messages of people screaming different things at you to do different things. So the fact that one person mentions I'm jumping. I'm such a little narc in that game too. Like, I, like I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a snitch, but in, in Elden Ring, I'm like, uh, excuse me, keep your jokes to yourself, okay? I'm here for the real day. I'm like, I'm, fl- I'm down voting people. Like, Ooh, like I, I am obsessed. I am not trying finger. No finger trying here. Uh, yeah. Man, it's like, oh, try here the fake, the fake, not broken wall. I'm like downvote. I'm like, I hope this really. Hurt. I also don't try upvote attacking. too when people are when people lay down those messages that are like, um, and this probably happens more now that the game has been out for a while. But like, oh, please upvote this because like I'm dying. I'm like, ah, it's giving follow for follow. I'm sorry right, that you're right. having a hard time. No, Ain't got nothing got, to do with me. Okay, you gotta help no. them, man. You're you're throwing no. them health. I, I got a health boost in the middle of an important boss fight and saved my life. Really? You gotta help those people. Kyle, Kyle, you, you lost all legitimacy in this argument. You lost all legitimacy in this argument, Kyle, when you said that you leave the same message right next to yeah, a that popular sucks. message. That sucks. Yeah. That's because sucks. then my message will show up no. on someone else's you're server wasting, when that one's not no, showing up. You're wasting our no. time. You're wasting our time. I hate getting those duplicates. I hate them. Um, you can't just assume they're going to different God servers. I forbid I try though. to be helpful to people. You're not. You're, you're that's trying. Not, that's yeah, not. You're copying someone else was no, helpful. No, no, I'm going to defend Kyle because sometimes no. too, putting it in a different context can help. Like he's not, not everyone's no, writing the right message next. in the he's, same way. He's putting it in the exact same spot. He's putting it in the exact same way. Is it literally word for word the same message? Yes. You understand that 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 the message that I saw that I'm copying will not show up for some people, but my message will. Some people, but Kyle, do you understand that the game is already littered with so many duplicates and because of people like you it's it's how if you see five messages to jump down here then no. you go but if no. you see one that's like fake wall you're gonna ignore the one and yeah, pop and follow the five i would prefer if kyle took a little bit more liberty with conveying the message a yes. little bit more be, but ha- other be than creative. that i'm down for like i'll take yeah i'll take eight messages tell me because then i'm like okay i really think this might be a real thing at some point i yep. think it's fair Mm-hmm. No, no. As long as it's not fingers. What was the actual them, question? Just- <laughs> um, is Kyle forgivable? Um, oh, yeah. What's the most unforgivable piece of game design? I would say, um, look, I don't want to get on this high horse again, but pointless battles in Paper Mario uh, are, I think, the most unforgivable thing that I've seen in Paper Mario Color Splash and uh, not Paper Jam, Color Splash and Sticker Star. The idea that, hey, it's like an RPG. There's all these random encounters, except you get nothing out of doing those. They are completely pointless, except you use up items in the fights. Like, that is just unforgivable in my mind. Um, that That's good. I got a better one. Okay. It's um, choices that don't actually matter, where it's, we're just going to funnel yeah. you to the same response of like, Oh, you think I should kill that guy? That's interesting. I'm not going to kill that guy, though. We're just going to let him go away, and he'll come back later. Right. Don't worry about it. Uh, never play a Pokemon game, Jeff. Uh, it won't go well for you. <laughs> uh, Muffin Crumbs writes in and says, Hey, uh, what do you think is the best video game performance of all time? Uh, Kyle beating Elden Ring, probably. Oh, you're saying that was me acting? <laughs> I don't know. Go check my trophies. No, no, it's more that that it was a performance. The way you're a, a regular, your regular ballerina out there is what I was going. Oh, for. Janet, Janet, one wording Wordle. Does that count? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, these are performances. The 360 no scope on Wordle. That mm-hmm. that was wild. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, uh, I thought we were talking about like actors. Yeah, we are. Like, we are. We are. We're messing with you. Why don't you leave a note for uh, podcasters? No, it's uh, no, Ashley never... Johnson as Ellie in Last of Us Part Two. 
Sure. Huh. Why not? Uh, Let's go yeah. with that. That's my answer. The Why sequence not? where yeah. a, a is incredible and made me cry. Yeah. Because yeah. of her performance. Um, boy, I, I thought we were going to go, I thought we were going to be on the same page of saying Stephen Merchant from Portal 2, Kyle, but uh, that's just my favorite. I don't know if it's the best, but yeah, I, I love that performance. Absolutely. But I mean, in terms of just like skill and just like this person, whatever the, uh, you know, the Oscar equivalent in video games, I don't know what that is. It's, uh, the Keeley, baby. Yeah. Haven't you seen that's, the Matrix? Resurrections? The it's very clearly. was alone. Yep. <laughs> there um, you go. The I, narration. I was, I was thinking, and I'll tread very lightly here, uh, because Jeff, um, believe it or not, I hope you're sitting down, everybody, has not finished Red Dead Redemption 2, but I think Arthur Morgan, Roger Clark, like that performance is too. unbelievable, and I forgot, like, I remember hearing some interview where they were talking about recording for that game and what a nightmare it was to track where this character was at mentally, because they were recording it for over five years. Like, there were tw- <laughs> there were literally 2,200 days of recording for Red Dead Redemption oh 2 and trying God. to track like where in a character arc you are for like okay you said this line four years ago now give the line right after that it's like oh, okay for a character that is going through so much at so many times like that is just uh, monumental that is actually a very good one yeah thank you one, thank you the end of that game is yeah very good right Jeff? seen your name in our ledger Exactly. There it is. Uh, Brandon Scott writes in and um, says, is there any way to predict whether a game will have a good launch performance-wise? Should we just trust certain developers or is it always a toss-up? That's a good question. Always a toss-up. Never trust anything. There's nothing guaranteed. (laughs) Just because someone did something good at one point doesn't mean the next thing will be good. If I write a really good review, do you just assume every review is going to be the same quality? It's not necessarily. I mean, I think at a certain point, there are track records that are developed that I think will inform, you know, excitement pre-orders or purchases, even your downloading of a game. But ultimately, it, just because you made one good thing doesn't mean you'll do it again. Yeah. And you never know about server issues like, you know, you could look a little bit to the developer's history to try to get some idea. And if it's the same publisher and how many betas they've run, maybe stuff like that. Have they done this type of thing before? But yeah, I, I think you're right. You can't you can't trust nobody. Does Nintendo? No, they've they've certainly. And we're talking about like like perf, like online performance. Well, and stuff no, like they just their performance. I mean, that's interesting. What not has every been the, Nintendo game is good. I mean, like, well, no, I love Kirby, but I thought Star Allies was like trash. Well, but it's very functional. <laughs> but technically, like, you're yeah. not you're yeah. not playing a broken oh. Nintendo game. I'd say the online online smash, you know, is, is still abysmal and unforgivable after all these years. Yeah, I, I mean, when I said Nintendo, I was not thinking online right, anything. Right. But in terms of like technical, you're not going to have a stuttery frame rate, probably. Mm-mm. I still think one of the biggest miracles in the game industry over the last decade is the fact that Breath of the Wild was not a glitchy mess. Like the fact that's the first time a team like that has tried an open world game. It had that, some problems. Not that many, though. Look, for a game all about wacky physics, like you would think that like that game would just be like, like just joke a minute on Twitter. Yeah, there were negligible problems. But I think that game did that there were like issues at launch. And like I even remember like there being conversation of some people like debating the the 10 because of the performance issues it had. I mean, I played it pre-release. I don't want to name any names. It's not name names. Interesting. 
like even the patches for that game were just like makes the experience more pleasant. They were never calling out specific things, which is could be just Nintendo. They never being call bad out anything patch specific. Notes. Yeah, right. like, show me but, some good patch notes from Nintendo. They don't exist. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, but I mean, I could, maybe I was lucky, but like I really, I never encountered stuff or really talked to anyone who was having like outside of like the, the motorcycle really. for the DLC and all that stuff. Um, Remember, I was like, oh, like, what, the, the what world, kind of, what the kind world of wouldn't pop in. Hitting? Yeah, it's just launched. like little stutter stuff, like little clipping. Like, again, nothing that's that deep, but it definitely didn't like run perfectly or anything. Like, I noticed mm. that it had some issues, but mm. I didn't think it was anything that detracted. And on the whole, like the industry didn't either. Even even the example I mentioned, like they also gave it still a 10, but they did consider yeah. it not for those reasons. Um and by the way, yeah, I forgot the wording that Nintendo used, but for all the updates for Breath of the Wild, the patch notes just did this list of one line and it said, various fixes to improve gameplay. <laughs> so What's the plus? boy, did one. they. I really felt those fixes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I, no one else liked this question, but by God, I thought it was a good good one. Uh, Joel writes and says, Hello, Min Max. In the era of remasters, reboots, and remakes, do you think there is an IP that is not coming back for sure? Absolutely guaranteed that an IP will not come back in the game industry. What's Naughty Dog's first game? Oh, Way of the Warrior? Oh, (laughs) I don't know. Was it? Let me see. That's whatever. Both of those are... Like, uh, Loco Roco? (laughs) No, I think a solid chance Loco Roco will come back. People still are fond about it. I mean... You're willing, to, Kyle. You would bet your life that Way of the Warrior would not come back in any form ever. I would not. Really? No. You'd bet your life on that. You'll be murdered by a hitman that if we'll you're never, wrong. We'll never play a new Way of the Warrior game. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel pretty good that I'll never play feel pretty good. Way but we need Warrior. to say absolutely not coming back for sure. I was thinking like uh, Beatles Rock Band. I'm trying to think, but it's like oh, even that sure. it seems impossible. But maybe. Now, here's the one. Star, Ma- Star Mid in the Backstage Pass got the one that I was like, yes, I think that is the only one we can confidently say. But even that I paused, which is Custer's Revenge. Uh, obviously, that's exactly so. What I was going to okay, say. Okay, yes, yeah, so horrific that obviously we're going to let it go. But I was like, is there any. I don't think you can say 100%. Not official, they, no. But officially, who? Wait, Atari? Who published Custer's Revenge? Who made that monstrosity? But that idea of like it, maybe there's like some ironic retelling for no, charity zero. there's some way of using that name for good there might be like something there that i would never say 100 percent no i think this question's hard because the real answer is would just take me a really long time to figure out because it'd have to be something that mm-hmm. wasn't good and doesn't have any cachet because one of my beefs with like remake culture is it's so often not games that need to be remade um and by that i mean right. they were fantastic games when they came out like Link's Awakening, the thing that was like, I don't know, nines and tens when it came out, that doesn't really need a remake in the sense that it was already made well the first time. It is true that it benefits from, you know, being translated into modern mechanics, even though that Link's Awakening remake has some problems. But, you Ooh, know, that's generally, a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Generally, it's not really the games that like I'd like to see remade that are like kind of like I want to see the sixes get remade. Like they need remakes because they weren't made well the first time. Mm-hmm. Like remaking Resident Evil 2, like again, that game is fantastic and I am glad it exists, but oh, you made the masterpiece another masterpiece? Who could have predicted this? Like, no, you know, like, it's because that's how you make money. Like, you wouldn't remake something that sucked because no one would want it. Like, you only really get it for stuff that's already good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They should have remade Outbreak. Right? 
Is it too the much to ask? PS2 game? They they should. That no one played. Well, you're getting it with Reverse whenever that comes out or whatever. That Resident Evil right. multiplayer game that's lost in the ether. Yeah, I'm looking through my list of every game I've ever played, trying to find one from like way back from 2012 that just has. Do you have that list? I do. Like, just... Since 2012, I kept track of every game I ever played. I'm trying to think of something that just absolutely retrograde. <laughs> that's some downloadable you, thing. Are you serious? That's a cool or game. Are you, like, I like that me? game. No, I'm serious. I do have that list. Yeah, yeah. That's the backwards uh, rhythm game, right? It is not numbered. Uh, no, no, but it's just uh, everything chronologically, I guess. Um, What's the first thing on that list? Great question, Janet. The Thank you. Thing. Thank you for asking. Oh, Knights of, Knights of the Old Republic. Or, sorry, The Old Republic. I'm sorry, the, the MMO. Oh, that uh, which would have been, yeah, early early 2012 when that thing came out. Um, so I guess my answer is no. Daikatana, Jeffem, it could come back. Not, not zero, not zero percent. I actually see that sure. more than like a lot of other things because it has such a weird reputation. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, people saying in the chat, uh, mother. Um, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting <laughs> choice. Probably right. Hyperscape. Remember me. Ooh, Masters oh. of Terracotta. Again, I think all of these are are at least one percent sliver chances. Um, okay. Um, Tanner Hoisington writes in. Does anyone on the show? Uh, that's us. Um, have tips for efficiently playing and finishing games? Because all I'm good at is playing 10 games at once. Um, great question. Just uh, buckle up. Join a, join a deepest dive on the game. <laughs> right. You're obligated to finish it. Right, right. That's the, that's the I secret. Mean, my, I'm, I've gotten so bad about this over the years, but like, uh, certainly my trick was when I was just uh, playing games for fun and not professionally was to just not move on to another game until you're done with one. Yeah. You know? I think that like, works. If you're think, even if you're really excited about something, just finish what you're playing and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. Janet, you were thinking hard? Yeah, loud. I was I, I had a lot of time to think in those last three seconds and I've come up with the perfect <laughs> solution. Um yeah. so for me, um there's like a number of answers here that are dependent on why you want to finish the games that kind of starts from there, like figuring out what your goal and motivation is like. And even if it is something as simple as like, I just want to do it because I think that's often driving a lot of our gaming habits. Like, I just feel like I want to knock it out. Like, I want to look and look back and feel the accomplishment of seeing something through. Um, I like to start by laying out all the games that I'm actively playing and or interesting in playing. And you can use different tools for that. This back in the day, I used um, Groovy, which has like a horrible website spelling. It's like G-R-O-U-V-E-E.com. Other people use Google Docs or spreadsheets. Uh, I'm currently using uh, the GG app, which if you just type in ggapp.io, it yeah. comes up. Um, and I sort of list all the stuff that I'm actively playing and I'll sort of periodically as well kind of when I feel like I'm floating in the abyss and I haven't really been making progress, I look back on what am I, you know, what have I flagged as playing and what am I actually playing here and sort of start to triage that. Um, certainly streaming has been a big part of helping me get through games because huge, I yeah. have scheduled in playtime uh, and almost a form of accountability just with my community where on, you know, I'll have one day where I'm trying stuff out and then one day where I'm maybe doing a let's play. So, um, yeah, you can kind of just think of what different things might work for you. Maybe you don't have is maybe the problem is you're not playing enough hours. So maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to wake up Monday morning before my family or whoever's up and I'm going to play at least like an hour or two and just start chipping away in that sense. I think a big part, though, of getting through a backlog is being OK to be honest with yourself and letting go what you actually 
don't really care about playing right, right now and right. then slowly starting to work on it from there and then keeping that that um multitasking number as low as you can i personally do play multiple games at once but i try not to i think if you have 10 games you're playing at once you're probably kind of lying to yourself there's probably a few you're really not playing very much or you haven't touched in like two months and you have to be honest are you actually playing that right. or is it just something you want to play and if you're you know and then kind of work on it from there so that's my my big advice for that we all have our bravely default twos, I think, at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, Joe Kefchinski writes in and says, Hey, crew, uh, in Horizon Forbidden West, during underwater sections, the game advises the player to avoid detection by hiding in the quote-unquote stealth kelp. <laughs> 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 That's very good. Games are pretty good. Uh, Tyler, Tyler Sticker writes in and says, Hey, cohorts, uh, we're up to the fifth consecutively numbered PlayStation console. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Um, so here's a silly question. Assuming console manufacturer continues indefinitely, what's the highest number you think Sony would go before reconsidering that naming convention? Ten. Ten. So they would get... I, think, I was going to say nine. I think once they get to ten, then well, it becomes... Well, here's, also that. here's a word. Tyler says, my guess is the PlayStation 8, because iPhone and Windows both jump from eight to ten. So I assume there's some marketing reason to avoid nine in product names. Mm. Well, they can't avoid nine because they made the commercial about it back during the PlayStation 2. Have you ever seen that, Janet? Yeah. It's very, it's a weird detail. I guess you're on a PlayStation podcast. You got to know about the PlayStation 9. Um, I, 10, yeah. I can see them honestly dropping it at 7. I feel like that is oh, where... So the 10 could be an X. So and that's cool. PSX? Like X for Xbox for some reason? It doesn't make any sense, but you know, they'll figure it out. <laughs> if what, there's one thing PlayStation knows, it's that Xs are cool. <laughs> Call it, Jeffum, right now. Always thinking. We won't get we won't get a PS6. They'll do it. Ooh, they'll do it next yeah. console. Yeah, bold, bold, wow. bold, bold, bold. I, I I like to be able to be proven wrong in like a couple years. I don't yeah, want to have to wait a decade. That's smart. That's why you're so successful. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Brian Ventura writes in and says, "Hello, Min Max. In 2017, Breath of the Wild and PUBG both released." Uh, have we talked about those since? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a little sarcasm for you, listeners. Wow. What is this voice that you do? It's the same voice you use when we play Wheel of Fortune together. Yeah, like, this is just yeah, you're right. your go-to Douche troll voice. voice. Um, anyways, uh, one, okay, so PUBG and Breath of the Wild. Uh, one had a massive impact on shooters and the other uh, on the open world genre. After the success of Elden Ring, interesting, what game do you think will be more influential in the long run? PUBG or Breath of the Wild? To go back to Breath this old one. PUBG. Absolutely PUBG. I think PUBG. Yeah. PUBG's I, uh, inspirations are is like hot and fast. Like it's already it's already winding down. Winding down. Yeah. Fortnite. I mean, Battle Royale. Yeah, they're making new yeah. battle royales you, for Call so of you Duty. Think Fortnite is still on an upward trajectory. You think Fortnite is not on the downswing? My God, I guess it, in the same way that I don't know, you're going from the hundredth floor in a building to the ninety second or something. But but I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like PUBG inspired a very fun, very like widely stolen mode. I think Breath of the Wild's long-term influence is more subtle and has a longer tail and will be harder to sort of specifically call out. But I mean, you can point to specific PUBG inspiration, like Fortnite and, and Call of Duty Warzone and Apex Legends. Like those are very well executed game modes inspired yeah. by PUBG. Right. Zelda is more like, like I said, more subtle. Yeah, that subtlety, it's not going to get you that far. You look at it like, yeah, it's subtle, it's in the art, it's in there's a twinkling piano in the trailer versus, I think, well, upending this entire industry with a game like Fortnite. 
Here's what we already know. I mean, I feel like this question's already been answered in like the way we live all the time. When's the last time we talked about PUBG on this show? Um, well, we did stream it for New Show Plus about eight months ago. So yeah, that's an answer to a question <laughs> I didn't ago. ask though. Right? Yeah, it's it's like, the, when it comes to day to day discussion of general games, we see so much more of the DNA of Breath of the Wild in those games, and we talk about Breath of the Wild so much more often because it has like a wider scope because it's more generalized. Like Kyle mentioned, like PUBG. Yeah is very it's stuck in like one realm which it's a very impactful realm but we see i can see breath of the wild in almost any game that has freaking grass right that's kind of the meme of it at this point <laughs> and maybe it's overdone and maybe we make the comparisons too often but like the conversation's there and it's i don't think it's really going away carmarjan yes please. Jeff, local carmarjan here it's that's right. <laughs> the problem i have with all of this is so much gets subscribed to or the credit goes to Breath of the Wild when it's like you would think that it was the first open world game ever made. Sure. And and whenever whenever people I I get that I'm in the minority of Breath of the Wild, but whenever people play a new open world game that they love, they their mind automatically goes back to Breath of the Wild instead of the other million open world games that came before. Yeah. And why is that? Because they really liked Breath of the Wild. <laughs> But not think, not because people were directly influenced of like, oh, I can go anywhere in this new game. It's, in a radical it's way. just like it's just like Breath of the Wild. It's like it's just like Skyrim. It's just like Oblivion. It's just like every other open world game. And yet we that don't say that. Everywhere. And I think that does. I mean, I think it's very fair to just to to feel like we do it too much because I think yeah. there is a kernel of truth there. But like the reality of impact is it's not who did it first. It's who did it best in a way that's memorable. And for and Breath of the Wild is that like, I'm sorry, Skyrim, but like, I'm not talking about you and I've never played it. And I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> well, that's why you're matter. not talking about you. PUBG. I think of Fortnite. I don't think of PUBG. Oh, PUBG was there first. Guess what, PUBG? No one can. Uh, Fortnite eclipsed you. It's over. Like, never I'm not going to be talking yet. about it. This is but, the most I've talked about you in PUBG. like three years. Okay, but this that's like the whole question of like PUBG or Breath of the Wild is like, what we're obs- what we're prescribing to like what they influenced like Fortnite Fortnite is going to go into the PUBG camp whether we're actually going back and still talking about PUBG I guess like the relevance question is is a bigger question of like are yeah. are we going to be are we still going to be having these conversations about Breath of the Wild Sure absolutely but in terms of like yeah, what that actually influenced in game design like unless I can crawl I can climb anything and I'm also going around on a hang glider then I don't want it I don't want the credit going back to Breath of the Wild So yeah I like, like that the idea design of, of it Right What if you can bake apples mm. Apples I'll give Question. you Ride yeah. a bear <laughs> People are like, fucking mama's been baking apples for years, you idiots. <laughs> you didn't invent apples, you hack. Um, H- Hanson, I, I, yeah. I should mention real quick that my wife has been playing Breath of the Wild. Oh, and and she's, probably, she's probably played as much Breath of the Wild as I have played of Elden Ring at this point. Really? She, yeah. And, she's like, and she's just super be, into it. Just, and it has made me appreciate Breath of the Wild more. But at the uh-huh. same time, anytime she gets annoyed, she brings it to me to play through the thing that's like too frustrating for her. <laughs> oh to figure yeah, out. sure, so sure. So kind of it kind of evens out. Then you so do you this play, like, the worst parts of Breath of the Wild. And that's yes, why you're like, yeah. I just keep playing these horrible sequences. Yeah. You should do the that's same. How I played for uh, Pokemon Arceus recently. Played all the bosses for everybody. In my house. Oh really? 
<laughs> but you could, like, you could like restart from every checkpoint within the boss. Yeah, like, were no, they really that tough? They, they just didn't want to put up with it. Why that's, would they? That's Here, interesting. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike Lynch writes in and says, hey, y'all, is there a series movie? This question threw me for a loop. I thought it was confusing, but then you all were like, hell yeah. Okay, it... <laughs> Let me throw it under the now. bus before I read it. Hey, y'all, is there a series, movie, or game that you're not a big fan of, but you have affection for since it's a hit for someone you really like? Uh, Mike says, I'm not a big fan of The Boys, but I love all the attention that it brings to Carl Urban. <laughs> yeah, way to go, <laughs> Carl Urban. You really did it. I get it. I, I get it. That's a, that's a perfect example there, Mike. Um, did something jump out for somebody here? No, I misunderstood that question. <laughs> what did, no, I, I, thought, okay. I thought it was something that a person that you like enjoys it, and therefore you have. Oh uh, no! Yeah, this is, not, is that not the not question? Because Carl no, Urban was. In it's it, kind of therefore. like a Carl Urban question. <gasps> oh, uh, so yeah, I, I, I. You didn't. You didn't understand. Okay, so no one understood well, the question. Yeah, because like my, my mind was like Stardew. <laughs> like I Stardew's not my kind of game. I played it a little bit it's not for me but my family loves it so much that i have a great level of appreciation for it okay well mike i'll actually answer your question my answer is i haven't seen mr mayor but i recently found out that holly hunter is on mr mayor so therefore i'm happy for mr mayor being on tv because it brings more eyeballs to holly hunter's performances did you know what i learned about mr mayor recently hansen that it was originally a 30 rock spinoff yeah, I didn't know that. It was yeah. supposed to be about Jack Donaghy. Right. I I will go to bat for Mr. Mayor. I've watched all the available episodes. Really? There's yeah. There's I I, I would even if you want a recommendation, <laughs> there is there's um, one specific episode. If you want to just like see if you like it, yeah, that's like the best of the season that had me laughing out loud. That I would I would recommend. Huh. All right, Kyle, your life is a mystery. You've seen every episode of Mr. Mayor. Hey, I like a Tina Fey sitcom. That's uh, I'm on board. It's, I like it, a Tina it, Fey it sitcom. Like Rock. All right, all right. Um, Andreas Jensen writes in and says, got a misjoke opportunity from last week, if everybody's ready. Oh. Um, almost right after discussing the weird names of Square Enix games, you talked about Stranger of Paradise, and Ben asked about the arc of the sentiment of that game. And someone should have said, the arc of the sentiment? I think Square showed that off on the last day to play. I feel like this is a really a real abuse of the ask us questions function. You <laughs> no, know, it's for questions think, only. No, I think it's the only reason that we have comments on Patreon is for people to fill in jokes that we missed. More missed jokes. Uh, Blackjack. Well, I didn't post. <laughs> that's right. Blackjack uh, writes in and says, hey, I decided to give Black Mesa a try after hearing Kyle mention it on the podcast a few weeks ago. That's the fan remake of Half-Life that Valve uh, gave the blessing to. I rolled credits on it tonight and had an absolute blast the whole time. The whole time. I know it's not a hot topic, but I'm curious what the cohorts think about that classic style of linear uh, first-person shooter and if they have any suggestions for must-plays that are like the original Half-Life. It's a good mm. one. It's a good question. Well, I mean, the obvious Half-Life 2, right? Like, yeah. that's cheating. Um, yeah, that's the equivalent the of original copying like, a comment in Elden Ring and putting it down next to it. Seriously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so weird to me that you guys take I such only issue with it that when, when it is genuinely helpful for other players. No, it's, it's not. not. It's not the because then messages. they both no, pop Janet, up in don't my game yeah. and I'm wasting time reading yeah. your try air try range oh, battle. Because y'all were going on yeah, such a speedy quest just through this me. game to yeah, begin Janet, with. Yeah, we're efficient just, machines. I'm going up with Jeffem today, you know? I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you can only come off mute so often, I can just railroad you. Yeah, That's even true. his child's coming at him from the other room. Um, I have, a, I have a, a really random one that I, I think is on Game Pass, and I don't know if it holds up. <laughs> it might be really bad these days, but there was an Xbox <laughs> game called Breakdown. 
Yeah. That is very inspired by Half-Life. Like, first person, cool story, linear. You're, like, working your way through a city. It's kind of like if a Japanese developer made Half-Life. Um, hmm. And I loved it when it came out, when it was an original Xbox game. It was one of those games I was like, like, why isn't everyone talking about this? I love this game. It's got, like, crazy time travel in it and stuff. It's very yeah. cool. Breakdown for uh, the original Xbox. In the realm of games, I don't know how they hold up, but clearly are super-duper Half-Life inspired. Uh, the original Red Faction feels like Half-Life <laughs> fan fiction at times. Um, it, it gets tough because it's like, were we just talking about any good first-person shooter campaign? Because then the answer is Titanfall 2's campaign, the greatest of all what? time. Half-Life is different it's, because it is it's, not like, it's in real yeah. time. Like, that's the thing, right? right? Like, you jump around to different places in Titanfall. Each level is like an, it's an episode kind of. But like the, right. the thing that's cool about Half-Life is like, that that really just made it so successful when it launched and made it really feel original was like you are basically experiencing a, a Gordon Freeman's worst day in his life. Right. Like if there's no cuts, you're not leaving his perspective ever. And Half-Life 2 really took that and did some really cool stuff with it. The idea that you are consistently role playing as, as Gordon Freeman through the course of this insane stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like Titanfall 2 like drops you in and out and you know, it's it's different. It's action, yeah. Um, by the way, yeah, shout out to uh, Noclip, Daniel Dwyer over there. They released a two-hour documentary on the making of Black Mesa. And it is, Kyle, I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but it is truly just a two-hour deep dive into like Valve game design from 1998 and like lessons they learned along the way and how they're trying to improve it. And it's, it's really fascinating just for zooming in on that. Cool. Um, Jason Wojnar writes in from uh, Ukraine, everybody. Uh, so serious hats on. Uh, he says, hey, Max, uh, I'm still alive, and, uh, sorry, I said that too quickly, I shouldn't even, that's, that's a stunning opening comment here. I'm still alive and more westward in Lviv after seven days in Kiev, still debating on whether to leave the country. Kiev still stands, and the Ukrainian army is absolutely kicking ass. With that being said, it's still absolutely devastating what has happened in Ukraine these past couple of weeks. Thousands of innocent people dead and countless buildings destroyed. Several cities in the east of Ukraine are encircled by Russian troops, and supplies are running low with no opportunities to get people what they need or even evacuate them. No question here. Really just wanted to give an update on the situation and let folks know what's happening. Um, yeah, if you remember, I mean, Jason has written to the show so many times and it's always with that interesting addendum of like, oh, I'm in Ukraine. I'm in Ukraine. And for years, it's like, oh, what an interesting little thing. And then now it's suddenly, oh, Jesus, Jason, how are you? Uh, so thanks for thanks for the update. Hope uh, you folks are staying safe over there as much as you can. Uh, yeah. Tony Parkash writes in and says, Better Quest update. Uh, my first ever goal for Better Quest last year was to make pixel art. And this year I got to share some of my pixel art in a group exhibition in London. Just wanted to say I'm mm. thankful for that little nudge and the accountability from the Better Quest community. Congratulations, Tony. Nice. Setting goals and hitting it. Way to go, buddy. That's up there with Leo's song. Um, my name is Dan, writes in and says, Hey, everybody, what game from 2021 are you still thinking about? Return. Chicory. Okay, solid. Real th- still thinking about Chicory? A little bit because um, because I played Tunic um, and I Ooh. was like, wow, that's again. And again, I think Tunic does have like new things to add. But I'm like, if we want to talk about really reinventing the wheel with a style of game, like Chicory really knocks that formula out of the park in a way where I almost don't even recognize that the formula is being evoked because it feels mm. so different and fresh. Yeah. Um, for me, it's probably Crash Bandicoot on the run. The mobile game? The mobile game. No, I don't know. Uh, I think probably It Takes Two. 
It Takes Two and New Pokemon Snap, I think, are weird kind of games that I keep thinking about. One in the sense of, I should go back and actually see credits for all new Pokemon Snap. And Janet, I know you want to launch into it. Don't launch into it. Um, but then It Takes Two, I think I'm still, I still think about that on a regular basis. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around, like, how did they do that? How did they pull that off? Uh, Jeff, am you still thinking about stuff? Yeah, Deathloop and Returnal, just yep. because I got my PS5, like, a week before the year ended and I still have to go back to both those games. They're both still on the hard drive. I had to erase some space the other day and I kept both of them on there. So there it is. I need to know. Fingers crossed. By the way, post uh, post Elden Ring, a post ER world. Maybe there is no post ER world, man. It's death after the ER. I'm never getting there. Uh, Tanner uh, in the backstage pass watching us live. He has the correct answer to that half-life game. Kyle, Mm. he says uh, resistance three is a really great half-life game. (laughs) Really? Interesting. Did you, did you ever play Resistance 3, Kyle? No. Uh-uh. It, I think I play, I made it about an hour into Resistance 1. That's my experience huh. with that series. Do you want to play co-op Resistance 3 sometimes? Some, sometime Not in the particularly. Future? Okay, but that's like a maybe? That's it, sure. <laughs> all right, good enough for me. Um, all right, what do y'all like for a question of the week? Uh, uh, stealth Kelp. Honestly, stealth I kelp. like Stealth Kelp, too. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, no, I, in terms of ones that like fostered uh, conversation, like um, I, I, Elden Ring criticism, I think is interesting because it yeah. is it is almost scary to say anything negative about that game. And negative things can certainly be said about that game, despite it being a really amazing experience. Yeah, we shouldn't be scared of that, but we yeah. are. That, yeah, I, I like that. I like the um, the IP that isn't coming back for sure. I love Stealth Kelp. Uh, in terms of debate <laughs> and like bringing something to the, the podcast, that PUBG Breath of the Wild that worked. That, that lit us on fire. Um, Janet, Jeff, what are you thinking? Um, just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, liked, like, wait, I liked all of those. Um, it's it's me shooting Jeff. Um, I, I liked the little finger gun. Um, I like all of those. I like whatever made Kyle reveal the double messaging. I feel like that mm. was good. But I don't know what question that was. <laughs> yeah, I think I that was... we did. Was that in the Un- last Elden Unfor- Ring? Was that Unforgivable Game? design or something i don't know <laughs> what was that? no i don't know oh, where no. that came out but just just right. give the award to kyle yeah we can't oh uh, uh, yes because i'm being helpful i'm helping other no. elder ring Again, players succeed. Yeah. with this style yeah stealth kelp more like stealth help with kyle here because he's not being helpful <laughs> there's a joke somewhere in there everybody um because it rhymes uh, so ricky they'll, they'll, they'll write they'll, in they'll with email. Next <laughs> week. please yeah. please please um ricky winterborn then with negative reactions elden ring you want to go with that one I like that one. All right, there yeah. we go. Congratulations, Ricky Winterborn. You just won a vinyl soundtrack from I8Bit. Thank you to I8Bit for shipping that out. Now it's time for something called Get a Load of This. Oh. Yeah. Can I? Yes, uh, Kyle. I can send you like a YouTube video to play, right? Where's the best place uh, to send it? Slack that? would be great. Okay. That'd be great right. if you want to just send it. That's Slack. not me necessarily having to go first. I just want to get you ready. Well, you basically volunteered. But uh, all right, Kyle, what do you got? What the hell? Just you just weird seem to be multiplying a message re- over and over again saying respect in the workplace, respect in the <laughs> workplace, I, respect in the workplace. Why did I have that copy pasted? That is so strange. Interesting. Right, I got to find it. You're see it now, now I'm all screwed up because I can't find the video. Let's all right. See. Hey, in the meanwhile. Okay, hey. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Christ. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's almost happening. <laughs> okay, here we go. You want to set it up? Sure. Uh, okay, so this is... Um, Insert at insert coins on Twitter shared this tweet. It said, You'll never guess who composed this game soundtrack. You'll freak out when you find out who composed this music. I freaked out. You will too. And okay. then he shared a clip 
from a game called Cheese Catastrophe uh, Con Speedy Gonzalez. It's like a Speedy <laughs> Gonzalez game for the Jeez. Genesis. Okay. Are you familiar with this game, Hanson? No. Uh-uh. And uh, Paul McCartney. I really appreciate because the tweet did not share who it is, and no one replying in the in the comments shared who it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. I mean, all right, so you guys ready for me to tell you who well, we all this game? Well, we all have to guess. Um, okay, you guys want to make some guesses? Trent Reznor? No, no. Um, John Carpenter. <laughs> That's a good no. Um, let's see. What about uh, Yo-Yo Ma? That, not Yo-Yo Ma. That's a good guess. Close. Okay. Close. Sinatra. Posthumously. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what is it? Okay. Yeah. It was uh, really impressive. It was the person who composed this was Quantic Dreams David Cage. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's really weird. <laughs> this is uh, this is markedly cheerier than his other works. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Why yeah. did he ever leave this? Uh, this is his creative zone. Absolutely, <laughs> stick to making soundtracks to Speedy Gonzalez games. Genesis now I'm just game. thinking of like there was a really fun article. I'm guessing just from PlayStation that was put out like around the Detroit Become Human era, talking about um, the composition of that game and how they had a different composer for each of the three main characters and like the mm. composer talking about like building instruments that didn't exist to make the stuff. I would love if they just cut like this song into one of those. They're like, here's what I made for like this one character. Cage is like, and I did this chapter and it's like completely If anybody ever gets a chance to interview David Cage in the future, just play that song out of your phone and just hold it up to the mic. I just want to see his reaction, you know, just really shake him up. Um, hey, get a load of this. Uh, Martin Nebelong just tweeted out uh, his project from Dreams. It's a speed lapse of him creating a world in Dreams, which is the world from Elden Ring, believe it or not. Uh, and it is incredible, Jeffum, that people are still using these amazing tools in Dreams to create stunning, stunning versions. Now, here is your beautiful art direction uh, of the world from Elden Ring, kind of, uh, an initial kind of big Vista look. Uh, so there's a link below for all that fun stuff. Um, and now well, you know what I don't think I said get a load of this so yeah, we didn't got a load of that yeah 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 that's good that's got, good. got a load of that that that's works good. right yeah that super works um, Janet I'm dying to hear yours <laughs> oh get a load of this I feel like mine is so I'm just gonna read it right we don't need the caveats mine's very like a beer nerdy which I know some people really hate beer and they hate like IPA culture so I'm sorry yeah, if that's you're you fine, you're fine. um <laughs> But this is like on TikTok um, that someone had posted from sourcing. Uh, I forget the name of the book offhand. It's like it's like a beer guide sort of book that talks about like how to make beer and like what goes into beer and all this other stuff. But they talk about pouring a beer at home and how you're supposed to pour the beer that you have at home, what? if it's from a can or what have you. And that, you know, a traditional pour, if you learn how to pour beer ever, it's the server's pour where you like tilt the glass and the beer and it like runs perfectly and you get like one inch ahead. Right. And that's what you do. If you ever worked at a brewery or a bar, when you pour beer from the tap, you do that pour. Um, but what they talk about is that that only works when you're at, you know, a bar because there's a tap system that has like the infrastructure to like provide a good tasting beer from that style of pour. 
So what they mentioned is that when you're at home, you should do, um, at least for like most beers, like pale ales, IPAs, etc. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if this applies to stouts or not, because it's kind of a different thing. You should do a judge's pour, where you basically just dunk the thing into the glass, and there's like a whole bunch of foam, like an insane amount of foam, and you just slowly wait for that to like go down so that you can like fill up the whole glass. And the point is that it's the closest to replicating that draft system, and it releases more of the CO2 that like stops you from getting as like bloated and burpy, and the head of the beer actually lasts longer that way. And it's supposed to be a better tasting beer. So if you're a beer nerd and you you know drink a lot of different beers or whatever, and you yeah. enjoy like the taste of beer, uh, it could be a fun way to change up the pour that you do. Because I was doing the service pour forever. Right. I thought that was like the the pinnacle of pours. So it was cool to just kind of get this little factoid about um, a thing that I enjoy partaking in and learning about. Yeah, um, Kyle, when was the last time you had a f- a, a a beer, a full beer? Gosh. I don't know. Years, probably. Years, oh years for Mine beers. Was yesterday, not, not a drinker, man. <laughs> wow. What? What about anything outside of beer? Like a glass of wine? That was probably like a holiday or something, right? Uh, you know, I think I had a sour beer, or but I didn't finish it on Thanksgiving. Actually, are you confusing it with a warhead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I dropped a warhead into the beer. I see. No, I, I think see. my brother Trust brought me like a, a sour beer. Uh, then I drank some of it on Thanksgiving. And you liked that it? Was it? That was the last time. Yeah, I like sour beers. Really? I, if, if I, I, I'm not a big beer guy, but I do like the few sour beers I've tried. Oh, damn. Sour is what I recommend when people say they don't like that nat, like the nasty bitter taste from like mm. the hops. Obviously, all beer has hops, but like sours are like a totally different flavor profile. Huh. Uh, Jeff, um, uh, what do you got? Uh, uh, get a load of this. This is, oh, it's actually pretty recent. I didn't know if it was or not. This is an article from Mental Floss that's entitled The Story Behind the Darth Vader Gargoyle at Washington National Cathedral. Hell yeah. Uh, And apparently (laughs) Washington's National Cathedral has a gar, it's, it's technically a grotesque because water doesn't flow through it, so it's not an official gargoyle. But they have a gargoyle on the side of the cathedral that's just, Darth Vader's head. And apparently there was a contest in the 80s for kids to submit ideas for different grotesques and someone just drew Darth Vader and they made it into a gargoyle. <laughs> Do you think there's a chance <laughs> they didn't know it? They didn't know what it was? They no, apparently they did and they and like the the National Cathedral has really played into it. They have like this dorky YouTube video of Darth Vader going around the cathedral and like sweeping the steps and stuff like that that's cute that's cute Uh, it's it's good it's good stonework if you're if you're into gargoyles and we are something i i forget where it came up but it was a while ago but it's something that we don't really think about anymore but i remember on some podcast somewhere or something somebody's talking about like seeing a new hope for the first time or i guess just star wars back in 1977 and having no idea what darth vader was and thinking that he was a robot and it's such an interesting idea now mm. where it's like, well, of course, Darth Vader's Darth Vader. But like, yeah, of course, if you see it at the time, there's no reason to not think that the stormtroopers and Darth Vader are just robots. Well, I guess stormtroopers, yeah. they take the helmet off, I guess, for some swapping. But like, yeah, it's such a weird idea. That was on How Much Your Mother, that joke of oh, really? uh, Lily being like, so you're telling me when they blew up the Death Star, there were people on there? Like the stormtroopers were actual people? It's like, yeah, it's the Death Star. They knew what they were getting into. It's the contractors from Clerk's joke, but I don't need the history of innocent deaths in Star Wars, everybody. Um, Jeff, did you pull a get a load of this from the community? Yeah, get a load of this. This one was from, I mean, Leafeon, uh, and it's linked to a Twitter, a tweet from Adequate Emily, 
and it's she says this is the best behind the music clip ever and it's a clip of <laughs> uh weird al yankovic talking about dare to be stupid yeah and, and like how he shared it with like well, can, can we play it actually sure is it can you send it to me well, yes I don't slack? think it's very long. I, I I caught this earlier. It's so good. <laughs> it is. Right. Yeah, I'm very okay. curious. Now. I'll put it. Uh, you do need. You want it Slack? Slack would be great. Slack right. would be great. It's in the podcast. Great. Here we go. I've always been a huge Devo fan. They've always been one of my very favorite groups. Uh, and every once in a while, I do what I call style parodies. I will do a song which is not a parody of a particular song, but it's, it's an original that's very much in the style of a particular artist or group. And I, I played the tape for Mark Mothersbaugh back when it came out, and uh, he seemed to enjoy it. He was like, wow, that's a really cool synth sound. I wish we could get that. I was in shock. Uh, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And he, was, he seemed to enjoy it. He could have been lying, but I don't know. He sort of re-sculpted that song into something else, and um, I hate him for it, basically. <laughs> All right, there we go. It's beautiful. See, my, my question with this, though, is Mark Mothersbaugh, like, yeah. he's kidding, right? Like, he's be. just joking, I right? don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard to tell. Know. I mean, he's, he's a funny guy, and like, you know, but I don't. Yeah, that, that made me laugh yeah. so hard when he's like, I hate him. <laughs> That's awesome. And also the composer for Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. There we go. It's still, right. still relevant in the and game space. Uh, great. Uh, hey. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching or listening to this episode of the podcast. Sorry, it's a long one. Uh, but thank you especially to supporters on Patreon and everybody supporting us at the $50 tier. If you support us at the $50 tier, you get to choose any game under the sun and become its official game champion. Game champions, we're going to be building an army. Uh, you get to choose which game you want, and it'll be relevant coming up uh, a little bit later in the year. But heads up that Chris is officially the game champion for Banjo-Kazooie. Congratulations. The greatest player of Banjo-Kazooie of all time is Chris. Clement Zobel chose, of any game under the sun, XCOM Enemy Unknown, which is cool. I like people just locking in a game that's... No one can object to XCOM Enemy Unknown, one of the greatest of all time, and Clemens Obel is the champion of it. And Jawar, hello. Hello to your choice, I say, because uh, they chose Crash Team Racing. Crash Team Racing of the game that they want to become the game champion of by supporting us at the $50 tier. So any game under the sun, you choose it. Lock it in at the $50 tier. We appreciate your support. You're in the description for every MinMax video where we tweet out your name along with the game and other fun stuff. All right. Hey, that's it for a show. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate it. Um, heads up. Uh, I am going to be in San Francisco next week at GDC, the Game Developers uh, Convention? Conference? Conference. Um, and Legal Vader is going too. And so next week's podcast, full disclaimer, might be a little weird. It's going to be Leo and I... Uh, with a microphone in the hotel room, and I don't know how the internet connection is going to be in the hotel, so doing it live for people to backstage pass might be a little bit hairy, but we're going to try our best. Uh, we're also going to be uh, creating like a travel log showing off that trip, um, but I'm looking forward to getting out there and seeing folks again. We're going back out into the world for the first time. I'll get to hand out MinMax business cards, which is just going to be nice. yes, it's a whole new world out there. So heads up for next week. It's going to be a little bit weird, which also means that party chat or Patreon exclusive podcast will not be airing next week. Uh, new show plus will still be happening on Tuesday on Twitch. Sarah is taking over the main feed and I'm curious to see what her four picks for anything for new show plus are going to be. Um, party chat, by the way, 
Patreon exclusive podcast um, airs every Monday. If you support us with $5 tier, you basically double the amount of podcasts you get from MinMax every week. Um, and this week we talk about, Cal and I review Turning Red from Pixar. Had a fun long chat about that. Uh, we also break down the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. Jeffum's there, a bunch of people in the community talking about it. So if you want those nerdy discussions and help support us at the same time, support us and unlock party chat. Um, we have an interview that went live on Monday this week that you might want to check out. It's on YouTube and also in that Patreon exclusive podcast feed uh, with Dan Callen who's had an incredible career in the game industry. I mean, started out working on WarioWare Twisted, then Halo 3, then Destiny, Halo 4. Um, but specifically, the, the interesting part of the interview that we really zoom in on is um, his transition where he was the lead world designer, or world designer, I should say, on Destiny and Destiny 2. And then he went to go work on Forspoken with Square Enix. So if you want to know what it's like for a somebody who's coming from the design headspace of Destiny to go work on a new IP for Square Enix, an open world game that's Breath of the Wild inspired, Jeffem. Uh, that is for Spoken. So check out that interview. Any help sharing it is appreciated. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the MinMax Show. Any other wise words anybody wants to share? Janet, you look like you're so eager. You're... I don't think I have anything. Well, I have my, I have my marathon this Sunday. Oh, so send yeah. some good energy to that or wish me luck or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm scared. So, it, is, and this is your first marathon ever. Yep, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so fun. Are you going to be listening to podcasts during it? Yeah, I'm listening okay. to actually. I finally listened to Giant Bomb for the first time in my life. What? Um, seems cool. I had no beef with it. I thought they had good content from at least the episodes I heard. I heard their game of the year. It's a three parter game of the year. I'm, I did the first two parts on other long runs that I did. Yeah. So the third part's going to take me home. Um, don't wow. mess this up for me, Giant Bomb. I know you're listening. Um, it's like a three and a half hour thing. So I'm like, that's a good chunk of the race already. So I'm going to do Hell that. Yeah. I have some other um stuff queued up like i have like one kind of funny thing queued up but like i have also mute like i have some stuff to change to if right, i need to right. and then i might do um rogue running does a really cool running podcast and they have a series of like um episodes on inspirational women who run so i'm like oh that could be like a really fun inspiring thing but the big con with them is their show episodes are so short there's nothing like like these runs i go on man are freaking hours long yeah. and like there's nothing like having to beam through six podcasts and you're only like two hours into the run it's like yeah, man no it's like, welcome back i'm like i've been here the whole time this is brutal if you're running um, not yeah. you specifically janet but if you're running while listening to this podcast please let us know uh, as a patreon uh, question or comment yeah, next week I'd i love run, to know. i'm always down to talk talk running too Ooh, for yeah. like a party chat or whatever like it's it's super fun but yes first marathon ever sweet sunday Let's super go. super proud Ooh. of you even if you only go like one mile and then stop we'll still be proud of you That's i incredible. honestly don't even want to think fathom the emotional wreckage that would i would be <laughs> if i don't finish this um so like <laughs> please i hope it's hope it goes okay I, i'm sure it will all right thank you so mm -hmm. much everybody we appreciate your support be good have fun let's go